Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, January 23rd. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Royal Rev of Radio is out making some much-needed repairs. Uh, we think I tra- transmit. I don't know. I don't have any idea what's wrong, but um, we would probably be right to suggest we have a much-reduced audience as we speak. We don't believe, Josh, you correct me, we don't believe we're live with the Gator 95.3. We are online we are in Sumter. We are in Orangeburg. There are some AM stations that we're still broadcasting live on, but um, we don't think we're live on the Gator 95.3. Uh, so we apologize for that um, unusual part of this morning's broadcast, and we hope to have it rectified sooner um, than later. I don't have much to report on football. Um, the General Assembly does reconvene today. I would imagine... There's still some squabbling about uh, television money and booster clubs and Clemson and Carolina and Coastal Carolina agreeing to disagree uh, from what I understood toward the end of last week. Not not a big disagreement, just some um, T-crossing and I-dotting about what the um, the editing looks like on the bill. I think from what I've gathered, Josh, and you don't care much about this, obviously as much as I do, they're seeking some guidance from the ACC and SEC. I mean, they want to make sure some of this language is appropriate and there won't be some legal challenge from the SEC or from or from the ACC. But I would expect a NIL bill in the next 30 days, maybe the next 45 days. It'll get placed in committee, and sometimes that can um, gum up the system a bit. But uh, we, we shall see. Today is New Hampshire primary day, the first primary of the 2024 Republican presidential cycle. The Iowa caucus, not officially a primary. Um, I think John Sununu said several weeks ago, if everybody who can will vote, Nikki Haley has a chance to win. Well, he's basically saying if all the Democrats and independents will change their certificate or change their um, reg- registration, Nikki can can win. Um, Nikki ain't winning. I mean, I can assure you of that. Nikki ain't winning uh, New Hampshire. What is the margin? I mean, I would imagine that will be the uh, the discussion as we leave New Hampshire. Did Trump get more or less than fifty percent percentage points of the vote? I think he does. Um, the more I think the, the more the more critical question: Can Nikki in any way, shape, or form get in the forties? I mean, I think Trump gets in the fifties. Can Nikki get in the forties? In other words, fifty-two forty-one. I mean, that's still a big margin. That's still a blowout. But maybe, maybe she can make it to South Carolina. I mean, I think Nikki, and I said this three weeks ago, I think the biggest decision that Nikki Haley has to make is whether to write her political obituary by coming to South Carolina. I mean, do you come to your home state? What is Walter Mondale known for? The guy that ran for president and lost every state but his own. I mean, does Nikki Haley want to be known be known as the, the presidential candidate who lost her own state by 20 or 25 percentage points? I mean, I just think that's writing the political obituary um, for a young person with a lot of glitz and glamour um, and a a very electable, at some point in time, a mainstream Republican figure. So we'll see in due time uh, how that plays itself out. You know, once again, I apologize. Josh is fielding some calls about we're not on the air in 95.3. We are aware. I mean, if you're you're trying to listen on 95.3 and we're on the air, you can't hear what I'm saying. So it's really a mute point. Literally and figuratively, but, but you can listen online. 
I think we're broadcasting online. I think we're on uh, some of these other stations. And Dave's not with us. He's out at the um, at the antenna site or the transmitter site, trying to figure out exactly what's wrong and um, and rectify that situation as soon as um, as he possibly can. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. That means you online listeners have to pick up your game and um, <laughs> and and call in and, and offer up some conversation, some questions about um about some of these topics that we'll cover today. Um, Trafalgar and its most recent poll has Trump at 58%, Nikki Haley at 36%. I mean, if that holds true, I think Nikki's got to take a long, hard look at what the prospects are of coming to South Carolina. Uh, once again, going to North Carolina as a former governor of South Carolina, okay, you do it. I mean, you do it and you, you let the chips fall where they may. But coming to your home state, and, and Josh, what Nikki has done, and you got to be careful doing this, what Nikki has done as part of her appeal has been traveling all over the country saying, I have an 80% appro- I left office with a 80% approval rate. People in South Carolina love me. Well, I mean, you, you tell people all over the country that for a year. I left South Carolina with an 80% approval rating. The people in South Carolina think I did a great job as governor. And when the time comes, they will. They will validate that 80% approval. They'll give me their support. I mean, all that goes away. I mean, all that goes away if you come to South Carolina and you lose by 25 or 30 points. And I'm convinced it's going to be worse than 20. I mean, it's going to be worse than six. If, if, if Trafalgar has Trump at 58 in New Hampshire, you take a guess what he is in South Carolina. I mean, if, if the, the Trafalgar poll came late yesterday. And the reason it was yesterday, they had a re-poll since DeSantis got out. 58 Trump, 36 um, Haley, Boston Globe, daily tracking poll. Trump's at 59, excuse me, 57. Uh, Nikki's at 38. In the insider advantage poll, Trump's at 62. So Trump's hovering around 60%. Not a single poll has Nikki in 40. So if Trump wins New Hampshire 60-40, can you imagine what he wins South Carolina? And Nikki's going to bear the brunt of that. I mean, she's going to, and to me, that is the writing of, that's how someone writes a, a political obituary come to their home state, lose by 25 points after you've told the nation that you left there with everybody loving you and the work you did and your governor's term. And I, I just, it, I think she's making a bad, bad decision to come to South Carolina. Let's go to the home. Someone's there. Verd Odom. Verd, you are on the air. Good morning, uh, Josh, Ken, uh, Dave. Uh, big day today. Uh, looking forward to our watch party as a, uh, the grand old post office in Darlington uh, this afternoon from five to about nine tonight. And Ken, I'm with you. I think, uh, I think Haley's uh, going down in the 20 to 25 point range at least. And, uh, you know, she's smart. She'll, uh, she'll do the quick exit like the Santos did uh, the other day when he saw the writing on the wall and he's going to save his career because he's young. He's got another chance in 2028 and probably beyond but uh, like you said, Ken, if uh, Haley stays in this thing, basically, to me, it seems like for spite to spite President Trump that uh, she uh, she'll she'll do she won't be a contender in four years. Like I'll put it that way. I think you write she'll write her obituary, uh, and I don't I don't think spite gets you very much. Uh, 
Ken, but I, I do agree with you. I think I think she if she don't drop out before she comes to South Carolina, it's, her political career is over. Thank you, Vern. Appreciate that. Spite arrogance, um, a, a certain expect. I don't. I don't know. I don't understand. I talked to somebody yesterday, a former lieutenant governor. Yesterday, he and I were talking about Andre Bauer. I mean, I'll discuss, Andre's coming on the show Thursday to discuss something he's working on. So when Andre had reached out to me end of last week about coming on the show to talk about Andre's doing some work with a trade group that's trying to get every Republican candidate for president to agree to not do certain things in transacting business with China. So Andre will be with us at 8.30 Thursday morning. But in the course of the conversation, Andre ran against Nikki for governor. And Andre and I were talking about South Carolina and and Nikki and what our prospects are and what we feel and what we and see and sense. Um, I mean, everything, Nikki was a kind of a, a darling of the Tea Party. And she was celebrated because she was unique. She's a female. She's of Indian descent. I mean, so, so she's a double minority, so to speak. Stale, pale, and male is always looking for diversity within its party. Um, and, the, you know, she basically came out of nowhere to win the 2010 gubernatorial race. And I, I just, I've always wondered what Nikki really believed in. And, and I don't want to be arrogant enough to say nobody had to question what I believe in. Because when you run for office, there are legitimate questions about what you believe in. And are you consistent in some of your stances? I just didn't know. I mean, I think Nikki's a talented politician. I really believe that. I think the greatest skill Nikki Haley has in the world of politics, it's not a great skill in the, in the, in the regular world, Josh, but I think unbridled ambition serves you well in politics. I mean, I don't think it's, it's, it's the way you should live your life, but if you try to become a politico, unbridled ambition is something that probably needs to be part of your makeup. Uh, what is the next best job? What is the next best job? Um, can I become governor? I mean, as a House member, can I become a senator? Can I become a governor? Can I become chair of the Governor's Association? Can I become a um, someone on the short list of VP nominees? Can I become an ambassador to the, to the United Nations? And I think she's had unbridled ambition, and I think that served her, her well. I mean, there, there's 25 or 30 relevant politicos in America. Nikki Haley is, is one of those 25 or 30 relevant uh, politicos in America. But when you enter the scene, when you come on the scene as the darling of the Tea Party, and your exit, your 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 last stanza is as a darling of the Wall Streeters and military industrial complex, what do you believe in? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't answer for everybody. There is no way. I mean, I can. I don't have unbridled ambition. I mean, I'm admitting that. I am intensely motivated. I believe that about. Myself, I was raised by a small businessman. I mean, that was the norm in my world, to be intensely motivated about getting things done that you're responsible for. But but that's not unbridled ambition. And, and I don't know that I could be that many things to that many people and look in the mirror every day and like the person I saw. And I'm at the point in my life where I wanted to some degree like the person I see back looking at me in the mirror. And I don't know how you enter the scene in 2010 as darling of the Tea Party Get elected governor of South Carolina on the on kind of on the on the shoestrings of that on on the backs of that energy that enthusiasm uh, that movement within the party and all of a sudden you end up on the other end of your career or at the backside of your career you're the darling of Wall Street 
I mean, you're the darling of the, I mean, you're the anti-America first candidate. Really? I mean, if you can't, to me, what, what is half? I mean, what, what is the, what is the evolution? What is the personal evolution that Nikki Haley has gone through to convince her that, Hey, when I came on the scene as darling of the tea party, I mean, that's what I genuinely believed. And, and 14 years later, I don't believe any of that anymore. In fact, I'm willing to go to Wall Street, sit down with never Trumpers, corporatist, you know, um, corporate overlords and the military-industrial complex, tell them what they want to hear and become their darling. I just think there's a fair question to ask. And it's not, I mean, I'm not, it's not incriminating by any stretch of the imagination. Politicians do what they have to do to get elected. There's not some new phenomenon here. Josh and I had a conversation yesterday during a break and this morning before the show. Why does it seem that the American electorate are more <sighs> less sympathetic to those who try to be everything to everybody? I mean, historically, we've kind of done what we were told. Um, when somebody like Haley gets well-funded, they run these slick ads. John Sununu endorses. I mean, he gives the thumbs up and a red Corvette or a red Mustang. I'm sorry. I mean, we fall for that. I mean, that, we couldn't help ourselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're right. I mean, that, you know, look, look at the ad they ran. Look at all the money she's raised. Look at all the important people endorsing and sponsoring her. You know, uh, I, I'm probably foolish to think this other America First candidate has a chance to win. I mean, I'm going to do what I'm – why are we so much more skeptical today? Why are we less willing to do what the powerful people say we must do? Because we're not. We're not doing that any longer. There's something that's happened in the, in the psyche of the voter, of the voter that we're just not doing what we're told anymore. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. I think we're back on the air, right, Josh? We should be. Dave we're, just called yeah, me. Yeah, Rev and called said during we are. the break. We'll stop there. Rev called during the break and asked me which wire was which, and I tried to explain the best I knew how over the air to um take the red wire, hook it to the blue wire, the blue wire, take that duct tape off, take that, that green wire, and kind of skin it back a bit, twist it good and tight with the uh, with the black wire, and um, that should get us back on the gear. And I think he did what I suggested, and we're back on the gear. Is that I mean, is that the way you understand it? I mean, you heard the conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. On, on the phone, you heard me tell him what I thought needed to be done. Yeah, he, he did, was a little and, confused. And, 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 if he, and if it would have been, you know, I don't, I don't like to. Anyway, you um, walked him through it. We're, well, we're we're back on. We're back on. Supposedly, now. we're back on. I mean, if if he did what I suggested. He do, then we are, we're, we're back on the air now. 843-661-0937. Appreciate the patience. We apologize. And for you that know, I had nothing to do with us getting back on the air. Nothing at all <laughs> to do with us getting uh, back on the air. There's this, there's this situation we find ourselves in. And I, I want to try to get some input from the listeners out there. It's obvious that the Republican primary voter, the Republican voter in general, the right of center voter in general, like doing what they're not supposed to do. They were supposed to vote for Jeb Bush in 2016. Ah, okay, you don't want to vote for Jeb. We'll, we'll accept Marco Rubio. We'll accept Chris Christie. We'll accept John Kasich. But don't you dare think about voting for Rand Paul or Donald Trump, good land. I mean, don't you ever even consider that. You know how this deal works. I mean, the voters are the peasants, and we're the, you know, we're, we're top of the food chain, and we make these decisions. So Josh and I are trying to consider a conversation about why. Why now? Why now? 
Why in 16, and why is it more intense today than it was then? Why is the GOP voter? And he doesn't have to be a primary voter. I mean, some of these folks don't vote in primaries. They'll show up and normally vote for the conservative, the Republican, come November. But why are they less willing to listen to what they're told to do? I mean, to me, that's an interesting kind of a study in macro politics. Obviously, it's Trump. I mean, he's an 800-pound gorilla. He's a force. He's a kind of a force of nature. He's a unique political figure. He's a political unicorn. I mean, there's a lot of ways to explain or describe he is a candidate. But it's much deeper than that. I mean, it's much bigger than that. Trump doesn't believe anything's bigger than he is. I mean, he believes it's all about him. It's all about what he's done. I did this. I did that. Look at what I did when I was president. I mean, he's narcissistic, but he's in a world of narcissism. So it's not that out of the norm, that out of place. But I think there's something much deeper and bigger here. The GOP voter are saying to people who have normally suggested they do X, Y, or Z, and we obliged, they're not doing it now. Why? Why are we? Once again, I get that part of it's Trump. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's a certain intrigue. There's a certain resistance you feel in your bone when you vote for Donald Trump. You kind of sort of, Josh, in a weird way, feel like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Right. And we kind of like doing things we shouldn't do. It's a little bit like when you on a hot summer day when you go to the convenience store and you fill your cup up with Diet Pepsi and you drink a big swallow. You know in your heart you shouldn't fill the cup back up. But it kind of makes you feel, oh, I'm getting a full cup and a little more. You know what I mean? I'm getting a full cup and a little more. It's not a big deal. I mean, I know the fountain soda doesn't cost much at all. There's this guilty pleasure that comes along with that. I'm arguing that there's a guilty pleasure that comes along with voting for Donald Trump. So why is it now? Why did 16 break the mold and we didn't conform in 2024? We didn't come to our senses, so to speak. I mean, I read Twitter. I read Facebook. I read Politico. I read The Hill. I read Real Clear Politics. I read The Wall Street Journal. I read The New York Times. They have told us for eight years, you can't do this again. I mean, this is crazy. He's a threat to democracy. He's, he has the, uh, the notion of a dictator. And, and it's almost like the more they discourage us, the more inclined we are to do it. What about our human psychology today is different than it was in 16 or in 15, really, because it revealed itself in, in 16. We had historically walked to the abyss, Josh. We mm-hmm. toyed around with third-party candidates. Pat Buchanan won New Hampshire. But we'd always toyed around with these different, unique political. In other words, the establishment said, don't you vote for Buchanan, and we did. But that was the end of it. I mean, that, that was the sugar high. That was the moment. Ah, look what we did. But I mean, right. but in 16, we played it out. I mean, we went, we, we played the entire game. And we're more willing to do it this time than we were in 2016. So I think that this... Uh Basically, what you had going on, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday. We were talking about the elections and whatnot, and I told him that up until 2016, the elections were, for the most part, meaningless. And he goes— What do you mean by that? I, exactly. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. So he goes, so you're saying that the elections don't matter at all. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I do think the elections matter which is why I think they had to rig it in 2020 and why it was so obvious. But that that's a that's another topic for another day. What I think is you had 
this false dichotomy where you have a Democrat and you have a Republican. And in truth, both were bought by the establishment. So you got the the Republican saying this about the Democrat and the Democrat going, oh, the Republican believes this. And then and then we, the masses, get caught up in this argument about which one of these two bought and paid for politicians is better than the other. When if the Democrat wins, you get the same thing. The Republican wins, you get the same thing. So that's what I meant when I said the election didn't matter, because ultimately we're arguing over A versus A instead of A versus B. So the point being, if you vote for Haley, you might as well vote for Biden. Exactly. But if you're voting for a bought and sold politician, if you're voting for Nikki Haley and you believe the majority of her success in politics has come as a result of uh, influential donors, the Koch brothers, see, see, I'm with you there. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that the the 338 million people who call themselves Americans, we have fundamental disagreements. Oh, I yeah. mean, we genuinely disagree on things, and, and we're passionate about it, and we want to see somebody go to Washington or go to the body politic and represent our interest. But but in reality, when those big doors open on the Capitol, and I think it's even in state houses to some degree, there's not anywhere near as much disagreement in the body politic as there is in the general public, and we want the body politic to reflect the discontent of the general public. And Trump was kind of our conduit. He was our, our resource. I mean, he, he was a guy that we could send. In other words, we didn't know what to do. I mean, we had no clue. You don't know how to reform Congress. I don't know how to reform. I mean, I think theoretically I know, but, but in, in practical senses, I don't have the ability to go to Washington and say, hey, guys, stop doing this and start doing that. I mean, they throw me out on my head. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And if someone goes there and makes that attempt, they're primaried. I mean, here comes the moneyed interest. Here come the Koch brothers. Here comes George Soros. Here comes the military-industrial complex. Here comes Wall Street. Here comes corporate America. And if you get on the bad side of that, you're done. And all of a sudden, there was a revelation. I don't think there was a revelation. Once again, like yesterday, I don't think you flip a switch. And, and it's revealed to all of us in some mystical formula. I think over a period of time, we just began looking at what we were getting and the majority of us said, wow, man, we've got some pretty fundamental disagreements out here. I mean, Josh believes in one thing, and Ken believes in another thing, and, and Jeff believes this, and Williams believes that. I mean, they're fundamental disagreements. And we don't believe that you act upon those fundamental disagreements in governing fashion. We believe that despite all of our dis- disagreements and all of our, um, all of our priorities, you guys go to, go to some room somewhere, close the door, and kind of, sort of, I mean, there, there's a minor disagreement here, but I think the minor disagreement may more be window dressing than anything else. And and I, I think you're onto something there, Josh. That and and I, I don't think that's why Haley's caught on, because I think the majority of well, let me see, caught on with people who won't change. I mean, the condition of conformity has worked to some degree. Americans, they like to say, "Man, I don't like the way things are," but when given an opportunity to 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 elect a change agent as a candidate they very often take a pass we'll take a break we'll be back in just a couple of minutes 843-661-0937 is our number someone's on the phone let's go there we got joe calling from hartsville joe you are on the air yeah good morning guys the biggest difference between trump and the rest of these clowns is he genuinely loves america I mean, say what you want to. He has been run through the ringer, and he's still 
unapologetically full-blown American. And the American people have been trying to tell our representatives that we love America since 2006. If you'll remember, they got fed up with Bush spending all this money and and kind of laid down in, in 2006, and the Democrats took over. And then in 2008, they put up McCain, and that just took the air out of the, the balloon. And, the, you know, they voted in Obama saying, okay, we're, we're not a racist country. And then they just went full bore on the, the gas trying to destroy it. They took over health care. You know, they started the immigration thing. And then the Tea Party kicked in in 2010, and we I think we took back like 63 seats. And then they put up Romney, and the people just got all grades of indignant. And then when Obama won again, we voted in some more senators, and then Trump came along, and that's why this whole thing turned around. The the Democrats don't care about states' rights. They're out there saying now, you know, we got to protect abortion rights. I thought it was to send it back to the states and let each state where 50 you know, laboratories of experiment. Why? Why can't each state run there? But they want to control everything that you do from the time you wake up till you go to bed. Who? Who? You know, wants to take away your your gas stoves and make you buy certain appliances and drive a certain car or eat a certain food? These people are in the total control, and that's not a American way. You can, you can go to any country in the world. You can go to France, but you can't be French. You can go to Spain, but you can't be Spanish. But you can come to America, and you can be an American. And that's what people are fighting for because we're losing America. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. I think the, the point Josh is making without – saying it and i mean i I kind of agree with this and i mean there'd be of interesting debate it's 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 almost like we we accepted i mean we had no choice we accepted josh know how to reform congress i don't know how to change the way the federal government works i mean it become so powerful so almighty so controlling so intrusive in all of our lives and it was i think america first is at odds with Washington first. And, I, you know, once again, the, the, the question I can't answer, and I don't think anybody can, honestly, I do believe Trump is patriotic. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think Trump loves America. Is Trump sincere in his relationship with the average, everyday American? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any idea. I don't know Trump's heart. Is he playing America? Is he playing this group of people? That's what a lot of the Trump detractors say. Trump doesn't care about those people. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a theory, Josh, and I think you would agree with me here. I mean, I say that the day we bailed out Wall Street was the day some populist running for president was inevitable. It was going to happen. I mean, there, there was something that happened that day. The majority of Americans didn't understand, you know, synthetic derivatives. They didn't understand subprime lending. 
but they knew that the, the wealthiest corporations in America got bailed out by the taxpayer. Now we can, you know, TARP made money and they got paid back and all. That, that, that's a story for another day. They know that when they can't pay their bills, the government doesn't bail them out. And when the biggest, wealthiest financial institution in America couldn't pay their bills, the government bailed them out. That was the day that I knew somebody like Trump was inevitable. I never imagined it be a real estate developer from Manhattan. But I knew that that was going to breed a certain amount of populism, and you weren't putting that genie back in the bottle. So that's the day that, that you know, when did, when did I suspect Trump was going to be president? I don't remember the exact moment. But, but it, was, it was kind of, um, I mean, I'd predetermined that something's going to happen and somebody's going to run for office, and the working class are going to find him very relatable. Very, very, very attractive. They're going to be drawn to this this particular person, um, and Trump did that. Now, I think there's a fair debate. You don't know. I don't know. Rev. We all speculate that he's sincere about what he means when he says the hardworking Americans, the hard and decent American families. I don't have any idea what what he really believes when he. But but I know it worked. I know they believe him. They really don't have a choice but to believe him. There's nobody else saying that sort of thing. Or there wasn't. A lot of people are saying it now. I mean, Biden, the Democrats are basically co-opting America first. I mean, they're saying that this pro-worker agenda, that this pro-family agenda, you know, the, the, the building back the American dream agenda. I mean, they're basically robbing that from Trump. Nobody was talking about that. I mean, nobody was having that debate. Nobody cared about the, the working class. I've argued that when, you know, we wondered when Trump, I think Alvin Bragg, I mean, I said last week, I believe Alvin Bragg's indictment kind of stirred the emotions again. But I went back and looked in February of 2023. In February of 2023, remember the train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, and Biden didn't go? I mean, it didn't, it didn't, the train didn't derail in Wall Street. It didn't derail in, uh, in Bentonville, Arkansas. It didn't derail at Koch Brothers headquarters or George Soros's office complex. I mean, if the if the train had derailed at one of those muddied interest or donor class enterprises, they would have been there. I mean, all the likely suspects. There would have been, you know, uh, interviews and hard hats and and these fancy jackets. Well, remember that um the people of East Palestine, Ohio, waited on Biden to come and he didn't come, and they waited on Biden to come and he didn't come. And they waited on Biden to come, and it didn't come. I think that was Biden basically saying, "Now nah, you working class folk don't want me." So, so, and then Trump shows up. Remember, Trump showed up in East Palestine, Ohio, had like some—I mean, he looks goofy in Carhartt jeans and and boots, had a black overcoat, that MAGA hat. I think that's the day that he reminded people, that, "Look, I'm the only—I'm the only shot you got." I mean, you may think I'm sincere, you may not think I'm sincere. But those old, how many times has Biden been here? I think it was J.D. Vance that was there with him at East Palestine, Ohio. It's a largely working class community. And the train derailed and all the chemicals were released. And, you know, that, that they were nervous and concerned, had to be moved out of their homes, evacuated the shelters all over the place. Nobody, I think Buttigieg at some point in time went. But, I mean, it was much later after Trump. I mean, maybe Biden went later, maybe he didn't. But I look back on that moment. And, and I believe that was, I don't want to say resurgence of America first, but I think that's when Donald Trump made his mind up because we were led to believe if Trump gets in, he's going to lose to DeSantis. 
I mean, January 6th happened, and look at the polls, and people are tired of him, and Trump, derangement, Trump fatigue syndrome, and, but the day that Trump went to East Palestine, Ohio, to me was the reminder that the, the working class still have their warrior. They still have their, their guy, so to speak. And I think had Biden gone to East Palestine, Ohio, as presidents normally do, and I don't have any idea why Biden didn't go, but he didn't. And, and you know, Biden's arrogant enough and, and dumb enough to not go because he believed those people voted for Trump. I mean, to me, if you believe a group of people don't support you, that's the ones you prioritize. East Palestine, Ohio, working class, steel workers, construction workers, miners. I mean, if you believe you lost ground with those people and the train derails, a smart politician is there the next day. But Biden's arrogant and dumb enough to believe, well, I'm not going to those people. They voted for Trump. And I think that could kind of breathe new energy into America first. And it is the dominant political force in America today by a large margin. A, I mean, it's not even close. And I think Haley's going to find out the hard way exactly how strong it is in a place that you wouldn't suspect it to be as strong. I mean, nobody in a million years expects Donald Trump to approach 60% in New Hampshire in a GOP primary where we know that many, many, many independents and Democrats, where Democrats have changed their registration. I mean, they've run out of forms in some of these places, and he's still going to get roughly somewhere between 55 and 60% of the vote and win by somewhere in excess of 15, 20 percentage points. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I want to dig into this Fannie Willis. I'm trying my best, and I'll probably have it by at least end of the week, maybe middle of the week. Well, I mean, tomorrow's middle of the week. Probably be end of the week before I get all my ducks in a row. But I'm trying to get a kind of a chronology of the legal issues facing Donald Trump and when the window of time that he most likely has to deal with it. Um, I mean, there was some news yesterday out of the uh, the Fannie Willis um, saga. Uh, we found out that the judge is going to make public or make the judge is going to allow some of her divorce proceedings to be included as part of some of the investigation going on uh, with Nathan Wade. Um, I did read yesterday or the day before. might have been the day by uh, football Sunday. That would have been the day before. I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal about John Floyd. John Floyd is one of the best racketeering lawyers in America. I mean, it would stand to reason when he got a RICO case. I mean, imagine that. We got a RICO case against the president. You know what RICO is, guys? It's kind of a catch-all. There, there's not really a law against this, but I think he's did something wrong. I mean, even if he didn't, there's a way we can charge him with something. So let's put it under RICO. Well, it, one, of the, one, of the, one of the best racketeering lawyers in America is a guy named John Floyd, and he was hired, which makes sense. I mean, good job, Fannie Willis. There were two contracts awarded. One paid $250 an hour. One made $200 an hour. She hired Floyd, who was the racketeering expert, the contract to pay $200 an hour. She hired old Bo. Um, $250 an hour, Nathan Ward, um, and $654,000. So the guy had billable hours, $250. He doesn't try RICO cases. He's not a racketeering lawyer, but he got the better of the contracts. I mean, that, that's just, you know, make of that what you choose to make of that. But that's a proven fact now. They've checked some of the, uh, some of the billing records, some of the receipts, um, one of the best racketeering lawyers in America got a contract. Okay, fair enough. Got a RICO case, $200 an hour. Uh, Obo, who doesn't 
do RICO law is getting $250 an hour. I'm trying to find out what Floyd got paid thus far. Uh, we know that Wade has been paid $654,000. And I'm saying, I'm saying old Bo, because uh, we don't know. We don't have any idea if the allegations are true. There is suspicion there. Uh, unlike the way they do Trump, we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt or her the benefit of the doubt. Um, take a load off Fannie may not have um, had anything to do with, with old Bo. Um, but we shall see in due time. But the judge says that part of her ah, divorce hearing and some of the sealed depositions can now be made public because they are relevant to taxpayer dollars. And, I mean, Fannie Willis can hire who she wants to, but if she hires somebody she's having an affair with and that person buys plane tickets and Disney cruises and other cruises with the money, you got to wonder why she hired him. I mean, did she hire him knowing that she had the authority to pay him $250 an hour? She could, he could bill her or bill them, you know, the taxpayer, $654,000 in billing. They could take some of that money going to Disney cruise, going to vacations, go where it is people that are having extramarital affairs go. I'm not accusing. That's the allegation. And I think we'll get to the bottom of it. Does that make the case null and void? I don't know. I would love someone who is more um, legally or legally scholarly than I does that. What damage does that do under the case? Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We have with us Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz. Ryan, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you, sir? I am doing well. I've always felt the more Donald Trump talked about January 6th, the more the less likely it was he'd have success at the ballot box. But there are some new questions surrounding the events of January 6th. Conservative media has pushed a narrative that has gained a little traction with a limited audience. But there's some revelations now in that case that they're being reported on. What are they, Ryan? Right. So you have this uh, committee. It's a subcommittee of the House Administration Committee. And essentially, uh, this subcommittee has been investigating the events of January 6th when it comes to security failures they believe may have happened. But they're also investigating the January 6th committee, which was led by Democrats. Uh, and also had two Republicans on it who were critical of former President Trump. Now, their accusation is that the January 6th committee deleted more than 100 encrypted files just days before the GOP took the majority in the House of Representatives, so they believe this could be an issue of obstruction. Can they appoint another commission to investigate the previous commission? Well, I, that, that's essentially what they're doing right now. So I, I believe that they're, they would just continue it through this subcommittee. And recently, I believe the speaker did come out and say that he's going to be giving them more resources to be able to do their work. And I'm sure that this latest revelation is only going to enhance those efforts more and more. Very well explained. Ron, thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. Hey, you too, sir. Thank you so much. I mean, that, that kind of, that, I'm telling you, there's something there to gain political ground. I mean, there, there really and truly is. And I'm not talking about with just the conservative world. I'm not talking about conservative media saying, you know, how many of the, the members of the January 6th commission. I, I'll go back to something I said prior to the election, um, prior to the midterms, when, when the Republicans took control of Congress, could control the House of Representatives, not the, the Senate. But I said I would not. Rev was talking about abandoning the January 6th commission. I mean, just write it off as a bad day in American history. I mean, it was Witch Hunt 101. 
And I told Rev, I said, I'd probably leave it intact. Why? Because when the Republicans win the House, they can appoint a chair. They can go to Hakeem Jeffries and say, look, we're not going to do it the way Pelosi did it. I mean, we don't believe that Donald Trump ever got a fair shake in this commission. We don't believe the per- perpetrators of January 6th ever got a fair shake in this commission. You put on this commission who you choose to. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm going to obligate myself to the traditions of this body since its inception, unlike Pelosi. I mean, Nancy Pelosi basically said, you know, you can put Republicans on here, but I got to approve of who the Republicans are. And Jim Jordan and, and a couple of others, or one other, and she said no. Why? Well, I mean, she didn't say because they didn't impeach Trump, but that's what she meant. So Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney end up being the Republicans on the January 6th commission. And I did a tally one day of how many impeachments that commission had between them. I mean, it was prolific. I mean, it really was. Everybody on that commission had voted to impeach Trump. The majority had voted to impeach Trump twice. So you believe you're going to get a fair shake on nobody believed. And that's why it didn't, um, that's why it was perceived as somewhat uh, politically motivated. But I believe that if I were the speaker, I'm not, but if I were, I would say, look, we're going to reappoint members to the J6 commission and Akeem Jeffries has every right to put on that commission who he chooses to. We're in the majority, so we're going to have more members, but I'm not going to tell the Democrats who they can and cannot put on, on the commission. And let's revisit some of these decisions. If there were messages deleted, if there was information deleted, let's find out who did it and why they did it and, and what the information was. Let's get to the bottom of January um, 6. The Fitzgerald case may answer some of this. Uh, excuse me, the Fitz, uh, it's not Fisher. Fisher, the Fisher case may answer um, some of this. It really and truly may. Um, I've, I've shared that story with about eight or ten politicos, and all are astounded that this is not getting more mainstream media coverage. Give Politico a little credit. I mean, they're not normally friendly to Trump or some of his um, uh, some of his pursuits, but they're giving him a fair shake on this particular story than anything I've read or anybody else I've read uh, reporting on that. I want to go back to Josh. Rev is with us, and we're back on the air on 95.3. Nice job. You did what I said, dude. <laughs> yeah. And we're back on the, uh, back the, on the air. But I want to get back to Josh because I, I, th- I find your opinion interesting because I know where you come from. So, so if we believe, Josh, if you and I conclude that the American public ain't buying it anymore, I mean, whatever the uniparty is selling, whatever the ruling – class is, is funding. We ain't buying it anymore. Some Americans are, but we aren't. I mean, half of the country say, I don't believe anything they say. I don't trust anything they tell me to be, to be true. Has that, is that Josh, the reason that conspiracy theories have become more readily acceptable? In other words, there was a, I guess what I'm saying is it's like AA. I mean, there's steps to getting sober. There's steps to becoming <laughs> I don't want to say a political outsider, but a, a political malcontent. I mean, there's steps to get there. The first step is I ain't buying it anymore. I mean, I'm just not. I voted for for uh, Bob Dole. I voted for the Bushes. I voted for Romney. I voted for McCain. I mean, I've done everything they've asked me to. I even voted for Jeb, and I'm not doing it anymore because I don't believe there's a distinct difference between the Republican and Democrat when it comes to the uniparty. When they close those doors, I think it's Washington first. 
And Washington Force is, t- is totally against America first. I mean, if America is, if the political agenda is America first, then Washington has to be second or third or fourth or, or fifth. But Josh, in the process of getting where you and I are, I mean, you might be a little more extreme on the, I mean, I'm probably more of a nonconformist, but you may be more of a conspiracy theorist than I am. Tip of the hat. I mean, that's select company, my friend. I can assure you of that. There's no way you're more of a malcontent than I. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, that's impossible. Blood would not circulate through your body if you were more discontented about politics than I am. But I do believe that you are more of a conspiracy theorist than I am. You're a thoughtful person. You don't just, you know, like, like, okay, the wind's blowing this way. Here's the conspiracy theory of this day or that day or or the next day. I think you have intellectual underpinning to some of these beliefs you have um, related to conspiracies. But, but Josh, don't we have to be malcontents before we can become conspiracy theorists? I mean, there's, there's got to be some instigator there. There's got to be something. In other words, if Dave Baker, Josh, and Ken believe that when they close that doors, when they close those doors, and some of those committee meetings, it's America first. I mean, they're not they're not considering Raytheon over the American people. I mean, I'm saying if we were that, I'm not talking about naive. If that was really the case, I mean, there's no reason to believe a conspiracy theory, right? I mean, they're telling you the truth. I mean, when they close those doors, they're doing the people's business. They're not concerned about what Raytheon may want or, or Wall Street may want or corporate America may want. But they're there to do our business. And they're going to always give us a fair shake. If we believed that, we'd be far less inclined to believe some of these conspiracy theories, wouldn't we? Right, yeah. And I completely agree because I think, to to your point earlier about how most people these days are conspiratorial and, and conspiracy theories have become more mainstream, I think it's because of uh, basically Trump. I think, you know, most people— have had the idea that is there corruption at the top? Is there corruption in politics? Yes. Most people would agree with that. But to what degree and and what are the specifics of that? They probably couldn't tell you. And it was really just like, oh, yeah, I'm sure stuff's going on. But most things are above board. But then when Trump got in, I think he really showed he is really not an establishment candidate. He is not on the in. He's not controlled opposition, in my opinion. And the reason for that is, is it became so blatant, the double standard that applied to him. The, the media narratives, the whole like, did you know that Donald Trump puts ketchup on steak? It was so, you know, the Russia collusion thing is so obvious that your average person who your average Seinfeld watcher, who's not really in on in, you know, following politics, that it got their attention. I'll tell you what got a lot of people's attention. I mean, I'm convinced of this. I mean, I've talked to people who don't study politics, don't live, breathe. Uh, they, they just don't. I mean, it's, 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 it's a part of their life, but it's a small part of their life. They didn't believe to begin with that the, the, the State Department, the CIA, the FBI, the DOJ met with Twitter trying to keep the Hunter Biden laptop story quiet. They just wouldn't believe that. They said, there is no damn way that you'll convince me. Ken, stop that. You're trying to tell me that the DOJ and FBI went and met with Twitter and convinced Twitter to censor stories about Hunter Biden's laptop. I don't buy that. You'll never convince me that's true. There is no way they're that 
one-sided, that, that, that con, con, con committed to stopping someone from, from getting elected, the majority of those people have come to me in recent times and said, you were right. I mean, it's hard to believe, it's hard to fathom, but you're right. Well, and I, when you consider at the time, Donald Trump was the chief executive of the country. Yeah, he's the president of the United States, so it's his FBI director, it's his uh, attorney general, it's his Department of Justice. That's the craziness of it, that those elements or those agents within the federal government were so committed to the cathedral at the expense of Trump, who they deemed a threat to the cathedral, that they, but I remember telling, I mean, once I knew that it was pretty obvious what had happened, I would tell friends of mine, hey, you know what happened to DOJ, don't you? No, I don't. What happened? I mean, do you study that more than I? What happened? I said, guys, the DOJ went to the FBI, and the FBI went to Twitter, and they convinced Twitter to not allow that Hunter Biden laptop story to be mainstream before the election for fear that it may, it may hurt Biden's chances of getting elected. And my friends would unanimously say, stop, Dad. I mean, I, I get you got a job on that radio show. I understand that, and I respect that. I understand that that's a, a kind of a unique audience, and you got a bunch of fellow believers, but stop that. But but now the gym, when I bump into someone, and they'll come up to me and say, I owe you an apology. You don't owe me an apology. Well, I mean, I, I told you that was a bunch of nonsense when you said that the DOJ and FBI went to Twitter. I mean, it would be one thing if Twitter went to DOJ and FBI. The liberal leadership of Twitter goes to the DOJ and says, look, th this story can get some traction. I mean, this Hunter Biden laptop story can get some traction. We can stop it if you want us to. I mean, I, I don't think that's the American way, but I understand liberal ownership of a company going to the government, trying to do something to aid and assist their fundamental political beliefs. I get that. I mean, I'd probably do it. But the government went to Twitter. I mean, the government initiated the conversations. The government demanded of Twitter, maybe not demand, strongly encouraged to do certain things to make sure. I mean, they shut down the New York uh, Post Twitter account. I mean, they locked the New York Post out of its own Twitter account because they were the ones that broke the news. And, and I think once you start establishing that as norm, conspiracy theories have to come after that. I mean, that would have been a conspiracy theory, right? I mean, the, right. cons the conspiracy theory would have been, hey, man, there's these crazy guys and ladies on the radio, and they're telling their listeners that the DOJ and FBI went to Twitter and convinced Twitter to not allow that Hunter Biden laptop story to be mainstream. We got to stop that. I mean, that's dangerous. What's more dangerous is when you find out it's not a theory. It was a conspiracy, an absolute conspiracy. And I think... I mean, think about this, guys, and then we'll take our break. We are about to elect. I select. We're about to select as our Republican nominee a person who's been impeached twice is, is under penalty of, what, 91 indictments as we speak. We don't have any clarity uh, on, on what may or may happen, may not happen in some of these trials and tribulations in the summer of 2024 of Donald Trump. But the American people are saying, I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. I mean, imagine where... We as a nation are when the person about to win the Republican primary by as large a margin as it's ever been won by. I mean, that's the astounding part of this. I mean, Trump is going to win this primary in a way that it's never been won before. And he's twice impeached and 91 times indicted. The American people ain't having it. I mean, I'm telling you that there's an awakening 
and, and the American spirit. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Imagine in a former period, in, in, a, in another life, in another political era, someone has an affair. I mean, remember Gary Hart caught on the boat monkey business with a female companion that oh, was yeah. not his wife and that killed his political campaign? Cost him everything. Yeah, I mean, but, but I mean, imagine today we're going to elect by a larger margin than anybody has ever won the Republican primary someone who's been impeached twice and is facing 91 criminal indictments and he's going to win by larger margins. I mean, that to me, that's something to celebrate. That means the American people are finally somewhat aware of how dishonest, ruthless, and corrupt the people in charge really are. We, we don't believe that these charges... <laughs> individually or together, are legit. I, Rev, I don't know that it changes our mind if they were legit. I, I, re, I thought about that one day. I said, okay, we don't believe they're legit. We believe they're frivolous charges. I mean, they're made up. They're, they're no pun intended here, they're trumped up. I mean, they're trying to, <laughs> trying to, to damage the candidate. Anything they can. I don't know that we care whether they were legitimate or not. I don't know that we care if Donald Trump said, find me 15,000 votes some way, somehow. I don't know that we care if Trump cared and misandled our classified information or obstructed. I don't know that half the country care. It's almost like a badge of honor. Somebody has to do something, and this dude will. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You're on. Kid, if you are a member of the cathedral, and I'm assuming our audience knows who that is, that's the bad guys, you don't have any choice. Literally, no choice whatsoever. You got two choices. You either accept defeat. Or you're going to have to get rid of Trump by any means possible. Now, it might be getting get with and cut some kind of deal where he sells us out. But I'm telling you, they cannot allow Trump to win the way he is right now. They just can't. And I tell you, I was watching, I had a few friends in Afghanistan that were there when Pat Tillman got killed. And this is kind of an example of the cathedral. I watched the documentary last night because I had inside information of what really happened. And you can debate whether or not he was basically fraternized by his men or a friendly fire. But the bottom line is the cathedral jumped all of that. And this was George Bush, too, so they're all members of it. And they lied to the family, told the soldiers that knew what happened. If they said a word, they would destroy him, the cathedral. Then they went up the chain, got, went down the chain for the president. Defense Secretary, everybody old now, and covered the entire thing up. And then, to show you how big the cathedral is, they had a congressional hearing, and the congressmen on both sides of the aisle colluded with the generals and Don Roosevelt to lie to that family and the American people again about how deep and broad the conspiracy was to take a guy that was shot by his old men because he used to be a football player and try to use him as a promotion for our daggone crazy illegal war. The cathedral has been doing this for a lot longer than we realize. And I'm telling you, kid, if you are a member of the cathedral, you just cannot have Donald Trump as president. You can't. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. It's a little bit like the, the bank teller that embezzles money and gets perfect attendance every single year. I mean, the reason she can't miss work 
is because the day she can't trick the numbers the way she does is the day the deal's found out. I mean, the jig is up. In other words, uh, the bank teller is, is stealing $100 a day, $200, whatever the number is. I don't have any idea. But, um, I mean, you've heard stories like this, and the reason they never miss work. You sure you don't want to take a vacation? No, I'm good. I mean, I'm dedicated. I want to work at this bank. I love my job. I love its people. Well, okay. I mean, you haven't missed a day in 13 years. And then you find out they've stole $1.6 million over 13 years. The cathedral has so much invested. To, to Breeze's point, they can't just say our bad. They can't throw their hands up and say our bad. As deep and corrupt as we think it is, it's probably a million times deeper and corrupter. I'm trying to find the audio, and somebody out there can, I mean, the craziest thing, and I'll play it on the air if I find it. There's an interview that Tucker Carlson does with Alex Jones. And Tucker asked Alex Jones, how did you know 9-11 was going to happen? Have you seen this? No. I mean, it's crazy. Um, it's not edited. It's not doctored. I mean, it's real. Tucker has Alex Jones on his show, and Tucker says, hey, before 9-11 happened, you said it was going to happen. How did you know that? And Alex Jones says, because Dick Cheney started telling us how dangerous fanatical Islam was. And Dick Cheney started telling us how bad a guy Saddam, excuse me, um, Osama bin Laden was. And I just knew, I, I just knew there was nothing he wouldn't do to, to, to influence that military industrial complex, to force war on nations around the world. Now, once again, I don't know what Alex Jones knows and doesn't know. And I don't know. I mean, he, he's, he's a different dude. I'll just say that. And he's been financially hurt. I mean, tremendously financially hurt by some of the craziness he says over there. But Alex Jones is not all crazy. I'll try to find that in one of these breaks and we'll play it over the air. But, um, but I mean, yeah, Alex Jones was on Tucker Carlson, and Carlson asked the question, you know, how did you know? I mean, basically, how did you know before 9-11 that something like 9-11 was going to happen? And Alex Jones says, because Cheney started talking a lot about fanatical Islam, and Cheney started saying a lot of things about Osama bin Laden, just out of the blue. I mean, just all of a sudden, that became a hot topic of conversation and I just knew that they were up to something. Now, I don't, I mean, you can believe what you choose to believe. I don't have any idea. I mean, that would be conspiracy theory to the extreme to believe that the federal government worked hand in hand with some of the forces that 9-11, you know, the events of 9-11 changed our country forever. Um, to what degree could the government have been involved in that? I mean, Josh is looking like, I'll tell you, I mean, I've, I've got an opinion. <laughs> And I would imagine he does. Before we get kicked off the air, let's go to the phone. <laughs> Mike in Darlington. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Uh, I tell you, uh, they're not conspiracy theories. They turn out to be facts. And uh, so that, that that's the scary thing about all this. But the thing about 9-11, they'd been trying to blow that thing up for years. They tried, uh, they'd taken a couple of vans, loads of explosives there and tried to set them off. And one of them was a dud and the other one blew up something, but it wasn't enough to affect the foundation. They didn't, uh, but, uh, and then they figured out to use those, uh, fully fueled airliners that that would do the trick on those things. And, uh, that was really a sad thing because I was in New York when those things were going up in the sixties and, and, and everybody took a tremendous amount of pride in those, uh, those, uh, two towers in that complex there. 
uh, even as it was going up. I, I used to walk by there uh, just about uh, every day. And uh, it, it was a, a tremendous thing, and it was a hurtful thing to lose those buildings. And and uh, but that they knew that was coming because they were they said they were going to blow it up, and they'd been trying to blow it up for years, and they finally figured out how to do it. And um, they should have been stopped as they were. I mean, that's the thing about Trump is he finds out somebody's giving giving him serious trouble, and they're coming after him like Soleimani, and uh, he'd just go ahead and blow him up and stop and and nip that in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. And uh, that and uh, that's what. But uh, they're so scared of Trump. I don't know what they're liable to do to try and keep him from being elected. And I hope that we've got someone directing uh, Miss McDaniel to, so that uh, we can counter some of these uh, hijinks. I know that they're going to pull. I mean, it's no secret. They're, got, they're, they're stashing away copies of ballots right, uh, pre-signed and pre-addressed already, I'm sure, under tables and in, uh, in uh, trucks and containers all over the U.S., to influence the election, and I'm, I want to know what we're doing about it or what can be done about it to ameliorate that situation because uh, they're not going to give it up. They're, uh, they're, it's going to be a fight to the end, and I wouldn't count on a huge majority, even if uh, half the black vote, if, if they suddenly wake up and realize that it's the Democrat Party that's been hammering them all, all these years and holding them back, from the Civil War all the way up to uh, the uh, uh, Jim Crow laws and uh, the, the uh, segregation and uh, providing poor education for uh, black students, I I don't know when uh, when they're going to wake up, but I think the uh, Hispanic vote is waking up. They got they got a clue that uh, this Democrat Party, as it is now is not looking out for their interest. It's just looking out for the elite's interest. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I want to ask a question. How far down the conspiracy theory road are you comfortable going? I mean, where, where's the place that you go like, no, I no, I'm not, no, nope, 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 nope. Nope. Don't want to hear that. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to consider it. I mean, where is that for most of us? I mean, once again, the DOJ, we know now that the DOJ went to Twitter and convinced Twitter to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story. I mean, when that was pitched to begin with, it was a conspiracy theory unlike any other. There's no way the DOJ would ever go to a media enterprise and convince them to try and affect the outcome of an election. But we know that happened. I mean, I'm not surprised. But but what what conspiracy theory if we found out to be true, would you find unbelievable? Wow. I mean, I'm not talking about JFK. I'm talking about modern politics, something that you believe happened, but you can't, can, you can't almost allow yourself to go there. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Barry and Sherall, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hey, Ken, so you know I go down that rabbit hole. I don't care. I'm going to go as far as I can go. Um, I was in D.C. 9-11, right? So this is odd. 
a month before 9-11, we started doing gate guard duty. We'd never done gate guard duty in, since I'd been in, since 97. A month before we start do, doing gate guard duty, and then it happens a month later. And then the plane supposedly hits the side of the Pentagon that was under construction. Never seen any plane parts. Uh, my unit was special rescue to the White House. Uh, my roommate went inside the Pentagon to recover bodies. Never seen any parts from the plane. Don't you think there would have been plane parts? But, but what are you saying, Barry? I mean, and I know you're. you're I mean, you just you just made no apologies. I go down that road. I mean, you yeah. said that. So so, what are you looking for? I mean, if what what are you saying? Are you saying nine eleven never happened and or nine no, eleven was organized by the federal government? I'm saying. Don't believe everything the government tells you. Well, I, mean, I, th- I think we and, all agree and, with that. I mean, I think I we think all they work. I think they work with people. I think they, the globalists are so so against the people that they'll do anything to keep power. Uh, that's they created ISIS. They uh, Mossad created Hamas. So I mean, I mean, Obama created ISIS. gave them gave them arms. The guy that was over ISIS was in a picture with McCain in Iraq. You see what I'm saying? Of course so I do. We, we, I don't believe – I've been in the government 25 years. So how can – let, let me ask you this, because you would be the consummate conspiracy theorist. Fair enough? Yes, sir. Okay. Absolutely. And you don't deny that. You, you don't it. shy away from that. Nope. So, so how can we – I mean, how can the conspiracy theorist be productive – in the political discourse, I think we have to we have to go against everything that they do and prove that they're correct on what they do. We just don't take it for what they're saying. If the government, but I mean, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to not take the government at its word. You would be surprised how many people I work with just go with what the government says. Oh, I agree with that, but but that's not I'm what not I said. What I said is you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to dispute what the government tells you to be true. Correct. But I, I don't believe anything, and I work for them. You if think they, everything they, start, they do is a conspiracy? Almost. If they start painting – this will tell you something right here, Ken. If they start painting tanks back camouflage, guess where we're getting ready to go? We're going somewhere where we need green. They do it every time. I've been in it long enough. They'll paint it sand. We're going to the desert. They project everything we're going to do. You just have to pay attention. So that's what Biden's doing now. If he says MAGA's uh, domestic terrorist, guess what's coming? But, Barry, but Barry your, your, your guy, Alex Jones, said that Sandy Hook never happened. That's one thing. That's one I understand thing. that, that's but that's what thing. people know him for. I mean, okay. We can't go off just one thing. Okay, though. but everybody's, and that's, everybody's wrong. Uh, but but let, me, let me stop. That, that's my point. Alex Jones that. makes valid points. That. Okay, but 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 what? Where is when we should tell? I mean, as a fellow conspiracy theorist, when should we tell some of the prominent conspiracy theorists to shut up and not say that? Because you're diminishing some I of this. If you go too much, then it you just watch everything that you built yourself up. Like so, really so, so why eat, did Alex Jones say eat. that? Why did Alex Jones say that? If Probably Alex Jones flicks, said, let, let me ask Probably. you this. If Alex Jones said that that um that Sandy Hook never happened, 
And then on the next show, Alex Jones says 9-11 was a government setup. There's no way I believe anything Alex Jones says. That's correct. He said, but, but before that, he did say 9-11, and it did happen. I didn't believe this stuff five years ago. But after COVID, if you really dive into it, good Lord. Do, I, I tell people all the time, do not go down the rabbit holes that I went to because you, you will be like, my friends think I'm crazy. They already thought I was crazy, but once I start going down rabbit holes, they really think I'm crazy. So I'm just telling people, keep your eyes open. Fannie Willis, watch the ex-wife because the ex-wife could now get, I mean, she's got all the goods on old boy. Somebody better protect her or they're, the Democrats going to pay her off. That's going to collapse. Just watch everything, man. That's, right. that's what I do now. I, I, I'm a conspiracy theorist, and I don't deny <laughs> Thank you, I man. love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. So, um, I mean, we could do an over-under on everything. I mean, I know Josh wants to jump in, so jump in, Josh. Well, I just want to say, kind of in Barry and in, in maybe Alex Jones' defense, I think that when it comes to conspiracy theories, there is this sort of stigma that goes with it because of these Alex Jones types, where Alex Jones is like his whole shtick is that he's a conspiracy theorist. So, of course, he, you know, he totes that like everything is a conspiracy. But I think because something you did was Barry was going into all this stuff about 9-11 and you asked him, so what are you saying? And I think that that is kind of uh, a bad faith argument because it's like, so I can say someone who was three years old when 9-11 happened. I'm, I'm looking at completely, it, I'm looking at that completely in retrospect and saying, yeah, there's, there's some odd things going on here. And then you say, so, so what happened? So, so what's the conspiracy? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just saying that there's, that there's elements so, of the so, official story. Okay, I so, don't find so, so, compelling. So the, so the point is, when does it become a conspiracy theory? I mean, if we say, wow, there were some things that happened in the 2020 election that don't make a lot of sense. I mean, is that a conspiracy theory or is that just kind of being aware? I think what Barry said is I, I don't trust anything. I mean, I don't, I pay attention. I don't trust anything. I don't take anybody at his word. If the federal government says one thing, it goes kind of in one out the other. So when we say, Josh, when we say, wow, there was some things happened in the 2020 election that I can't explain. I mean, that's where I land. I don't think I can say the election was stolen. If someone said, can you prove it? No, I can't prove it. There's no way I could prove the election was stolen. Therefore, I don't say it. But I can easily prove that some things happen that don't make any sense. I mean, we went from 69 or 70% turnout to 92, 93, 94%. Now, the, the other side would say, yeah, but I mean, we made ballots more available. You know, COVID, the restrictions. Uh, we mailed ballots to people who never voted, didn't ask for ballots. So, so obviously, that's going to have a um, an effect on turnout and and percentage of turnout. Okay, but is it a conspiracy theory to say well, why did you mail them? I mean, why why did you mail ballots to people who didn't ask for them? I mean, to me, am, am I a conspiracy theorist? When I, is that the beginning of a conspiracy theory? I mean, if 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 if, if good Biden supporter Jeff is sitting across from here, uh and Jeff says, that's nonsense. And I said, Jeff, I've never said the election was stolen. Williams, I've never said the election was stolen. I'm not going to say that because I know I can't prove that. But it's easy for me to prove that there were statistical anomalies in heavily Democratic precincts that just seem odd. 
But See, when you tried to, to ask those sort of questions, you were marginalized. You were shut down. Well, I mean, you're, you're in told most cases. the courts looked at it and said nothing happened. Well, the courts never looked at it. They never, the courts never said, well, bring us all the data you've got. I mean, the courts basically, and I told Rev one morning, you forget that. I mean, because Rev was talking about, well, all these stats you've talked about. I mean, the courts should, I said, the courts aren't going to get involved in an election. They're just not. They're, they're going to be hesitant in some of this ballot, you know, um, shenanigans happening in Colorado and Maine and some other places. The point I'm trying to make is we are going to nominate by a larger margin than we've ever nominated a Republican for president who has been impeached twice and indicted 91 times. That leads me to believe that more of you are conspiracy theorists than are willing to admit. If the majority of people took government at its word, 91 indictments excludes you from being a presidential candidate. But because so many Republicans don't trust the government, don't take the government at its word, believe these are bogus charges, we're, we're, we're kind of in the face of government more, more passionately than ever, more intensely than ever, saying, we're going to give you him again. Do with it what you will. We're going to... We're all, to some degree, conspiracy theorists. So I asked the question again, Josh, and I know we got to take a break, so ponder this during the break. So when I say that things happen I can't explain in the election, and the Democrat says, well, that's because we handed out more ballots. I mean, some of the states lessened the restrictions on mail-in ballots and, and drop boxes and chain of custody. And I go, hmm, that's interesting. Is that a conspiracy? I mean, am I a conspiracy theorist? I know what I believe happened, but there's no way I could prove it. I mean, I believe with all my heart that ballot harvesting and, and, and you know, ballot hustlers and people picking up a 1,000 ballots at a time and 100 ballots a year and getting paid for ballots. I mean, I believe with all my heart that happened, but I can't prove it. Therefore, it's a conspiracy, right? I mean, if we're not going to investigate it, it has to be somewhat of a conspiracy. Am I right? I mean, I know we're yeah, running into a, yeah. we'll take a long break, top of the hour. I know we don't normally do that. But um, but at what point in time does my legitimate concern about the election or January 6th or whatever, 9-11, as Barry said, whatever thing you're a little bit hesitant to believe what the government says, when does that become a conspiracy? Well, I think that's completely subjective. I think that, you know, so, uh, someone on the Democratic side who – they just immediately associate when they hear the term conspiracy theory, their mind just goes, oh, this guy believes in Nazi UFOs and Alex reptilian Jones. overlords. Alex yeah. Jones. I mean, he's the poster child. Yeah. But like by definition, a conspiracy theory is you, you're theorizing that there is this kind of under the table deal going on or that things may not things aren't completely above board. I think it's totally reasonable to say you know, the, the buildings collapse because of like thousands degree, uh, you know, Fahrenheit of fire, but the guy's, the guy's ID survived completely in a plane wreck. That's weird. And, and that, Im, that implies certain things. And again, there could be an explanation, but why, but, the, but they just immediately go, oh, you're a, consp- a conspiracy theorist. So is the country better with more or less conspiracy theorists? Are we a better nation? I'm not talking about confusion and controversy. I mean, I understand that. A conspiracy theorist by nature brings complication to the table. They bring controversy to the debate. Are we better or not if the majority of Americans are conspiracy theorists 
Well, the majority of Americans just kind of say, I'll stop that nonsense. I think someone like Alex Jones shoots themselves in the foot all the time, but I'd rather have a nation of him than a nation of people that just completely go along with the story, you know, the official story, no matter what. Because at least, you know, Alex Jones, I think, is probably wrong 60% of the time, but he's right 40% of the time. The things he's wrong on are almost unforgivable to me. I mean, that, mm. Sandy Hook never happened. I mean, you, you, to me, how do you how do you say that? I mean, how do how do you what do you base that on? Uh, and and when you're wrong about that, I think you hurt conspiracy theorists in general. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, I, that's I, do, funny I think you say. hurt conspiracy theorists in general when you say something that <laughs> you crazy. You a bad name to conspiracy theorists. Who lost children, man? <laughs> I know. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Dr. Will Bolt is with us. Bolt was running out of the door, and Rev and Josh tackled him, brought him back in, and we pledged we wouldn't bring up the name Alex Jones. Um, um, or, or the Bills. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, compared to what, yeah, I'll take Alex Jones. Let's not talk about the Bills and what happened. So no, let, Let's do this for a second, because I'm going to give you a chance. No, I mean, in all honesty, you've told me on and off the air, as the Bills go, so goes Buffalo. Yeah. But they are the face of that city. Uh, the Buffalo Bills have a loyal and dedicated following. I mean, yeah. you're an SEC fan and went to went to Tennessee, so you can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> but how distraught oh, yeah. was the city of Buffalo Monday morning after that well, loss? You, you you saw the clips, man. There were grown men crying in the stands. I mean, this was just we've gotten to the sort of like the same point four years in a row. The core is just kind of getting older. They're going to get hit by by the cap. There's going to be a lot of changes, and it, it was a game they. Probably didn't have a made a lot of mistakes, but still had a chance at the, against your nemesis. It's, and it's you know it's for the years it was New England. Now it's just can't can't get past Kansas City. And yeah, Travis Kelsey you now celebrating doing a little hard thing on your home field is tough to take. And I mean, how do you let Travis Kelsey get blow a coverage for the, the, you, you? Wouldn't you have somebody say you're going to follow this guy wherever he goes on the field, no matter what? And the guy got wide open for two touchdowns and. It just it, it, you had the sinking feeling in your stomach all throughout the second half. It's like they they don't got them. They need and they got a gift when Kansas City fumbled through the end. So it was like, oh, all right, here's a reprieve from the governor. Maybe we can pull this out. And and the poor kid misses the the kid. And that that's a tough kick in those conditions. But you give it, it back to Kansas City with a minute and somebody yeah, right. Go. Even I mean, if even if they kick, if he gets it, you, Mahomes has timeouts a minute and a half. You're telling me he's not going to march down the field and at least get a field goal. You're almost hoping. Let them get a touchdown at that point so we at least have a chance to try and tie it and get the overtime. So just another, and when the headline is another heartbreaking defeat, that just tells you uh, the Bills have lost, I think, 16 games over the past three or four years. Only two of them have been been more than a, a touchdown. So just all of the losses, it just comes down to the very, very end. And, yeah, it was just another Kansas City one. And, you know, and for those Bills fans who don't live in Buffalo, we know we're going to have to eat you-know-what, you know, the next couple of days. People are going to come by and either – Try and console us, which we don't need. We don't want that, but others are just going to stick the knife in and twist it a little bit. Well, more, I, mean, so. I was watching, uh, I went on Twitter last night, and Alex Jones said the NFL <laughs> is conspiring against the Buffalo Bills. Nah, that's I like why. him. That's, <laughs> that's why, that's why the, you know, the Bills and, and every, every Bills fan will tell you if, you, if you remember the X-Files, the old uh, cigarette smoking man, there was a, a clip where he so they, they talked about the Buffalo Bills, and he said, that will never happen. And so the grand conspiracy theorist on the X-Files was against the Bills as well. So, so Dr. Bolt, what do you make of the the 
the the prevalence of conspiracy yeah. theories. I mean, because I, I think we we're we're kind of talking around a point. If Donald Trump is more dominant in a Republican primary <laughs> than any candidate ever has in been history. in primary say, yeah. history, I mean, he's he's Incredible. cleaning the slate. I mean, he's just running away with this in a way I don't think neither you nor I imagined. We thought DeSantis no. would right. pose a legitimate threat. Then maybe Haley. But no, I mean, it, th- this is... Uh, Nothing is stuck. Yep, I mean, it's th- just, this is inevitable. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There, there's no yep. question about it. He's twice impeached, <laughs> 91 times indicted. Doesn't that suggest that we're more of a conspiracy theorist <laughs> nation than we're willing to admit? You don't want to say, <laughs> hey, give me that sweatshirt that says I'm a conspiracy theorist. I don't want to, you know, do that. But, but aren't we in our subconscious almost saying we're, we're kind of believing that there's something that doesn't make sense about the way Trump has been treated in relation I think, I think to other a, political candidates. I think a lot of people would probably say, there's a lot of people out there who just say, I want to stick it to you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're coming after my guy. I disagree with this. I think this is over the top. And so I may not like the guy. I may not like any of his policies, but I think this is above, this, is, this, is, this isn't normal. So yeah, I'm going to come out here. I'm going to support the guy just because you don't like him. Just because all you big wigs, you elites, you corporate, your money men, your aristocracy, if you will, you're coming after that guy. And if you're coming after him, how long before you're going to come after me? So I think there's a lot of that in there as well. Because I'm arguing, Bolt, that, that you know, I mean, Trump's policies were by and large pro-business, deregulation, sure. lower taxes. Typical. I mean, that typical Republican right. Of, Republican. Yep. That's exactly right. But I'm arguing that that's not the motivation now. It's not the Trump agenda. It's not the Trump platform. It's not the Trump administration. This is more about kind of retribution to those yeah. who have attacked Donald no, Trump you want, you want over the years. No, a lot of it's just uh, they, they, they kind of talked about it, draining the swamp. I think a lot of it's now going to be let, let's burn it down. Let's make some big, big, drastic fundamental changes. We've only got four more years. We don't, we don't do it in four years, so we don't got to worry about reelection. We don't got to worry about playing the game and making sure we win the next election we're going all in, pedal to the metal, full throttle. Let's do as much as we can while we can. We may not get another shot at it. And well, so, yes, I but, think that's what's but, coming. But didn't Jefferson say that this was healthy a little, for a republic? A revolution now and then is a good thing, right? One of the most famous Thomas Jefferson. And, right, we've had we've been sort of sort of like stuck in this status quo, this malaise for generations. And, again, we've talked about it before. Here is an outsider, somebody who says let's the, the current system isn't working. Let's shake it up a little bit. And what happened? They turned on him. They turned on him immediately, tried to cast him aside like a leper. And again, here he's just, he's just, we've set up before again, he's like the horror of you, you can't kill the guy off no matter how many indictments, no matter what they do. They're trying to balance. Who knows what they're going to come up with in the next couple of months uh, to try and put the final proverbial stake in the heart with the guy. You just can't do it. And the American people aren't going to, aren't going to stand for it. Heaven help the country if they try and do something really, really uh, outside of the lines to try and exclude him and prevent him from becoming president. Some don't believe it'll be the proverbial stake of the heart. They believe it'll be the literal stake. I didn't want. Uh, I, you went, I didn't want. It. I was kind of <laughs> tap dancing around it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Let, let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Sam in Darlington. Morning, Sam. You're on with Doctor Bolt. Morning. Morning. Sir. Uh, you guys really get into uh, amazing stuff and uh, and important stuff about conspiracies. I just wanted to say one one short thing. Uh, limit myself to that but before in the late in the late 1980s uh you know the soviet union collapsed in and around in 1990 91 so you know leading up to that there was 
a joke went around, is what I've read, is a joke went around in, in uh, Russia and in the Soviet Union. The joke was, how do you tell when a government official is lying to you? And the answer is, if his lips are moving. And I would say that that's the that's what we're seeing emerge in this country. And there has been enough lying by the government to, uh, you know, to make that a popular attitude. But it it shows that we're in trouble, and we need to uh, we need to think about how we can how we can uh, find ways to work together to make our country better. Not not uh, fight each other so much. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Sam. Good Appreciate point. that. That's a, that's a very valid point. Yeah. And I was going to ask Sam, are we better electing Trump or better not electing Trump? I mean, if we believe that the nation's powerful and elites and establishment and, you know, I mean, it's not one person. I mean, it's, a, it's an order. I mean, it's an orderly way of which people have amassed power and influence in our government. And I would argue corruptly abuse those privileges of being in charge of our government. But, but Bolt, people don't know how to reform government without some sort of middle finger, without some sort of yeah. a Molotov cocktail. I mean, no, I, I, I think the interesting question is, I mean, Sam, I think there are a lot of non-Trump supporting Americans who believe the system is broken. Yeah. They just need, rather need try to go about fixing it a different way. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're just a more a subtle, slower, incremental approach. And that's maybe what you're going to have in the end, unless there is a a big, big Trump wave that we that we that we don't see coming at the lower level, getting members into the House, picking off some Senate seats, maybe some guys kind of flipping and changing. But again, right, you, the the only change is going to be President Trump at the top, and Congress is still probably going to maybe try and drag its feet, unless there's enough America First Trumpers in there. To what really is do it? What, what are, you're from Buffalo, I'm from Pamplico. <laughs> um, what does America First mean to you? When I say the two words yeah. together. In the political spectrum, what what do you hear? I mean, it's it's a it's, it's a nationalist ideology, but again, it's as the name implies, uh, putting America first, keeping our resources, our dollars here at home, rather than sending them abroad, renegotiating our trade deals. Uh, you know, we've got some bad bad trade deals which have led to jobs going overseas, the lowering of wages, and the other major part is, of course, strengthening the border. Uh, and again, this appeals. This this sounds good, as we would say, in all four time zones. Uh, north, south, east, and west, and again, in every state, right, there's pockets of America Firsters. Even in New York, a very, very liberal, progressive state, if you will, there's America Firsters right in California, probably not in the same percentage that you have in other states. But again, this is a nationwide, a nationwide movement. And I don't know, if, you, if you'd have said to me about a year ago, uh, you know, Trump's going to win, I said, I, I don't know about that. It's now looking almost like, there we say, inevitable that you're, this could be an electoral landslide. Uh, coming. Just the people are just kind of fed up and just kind of tired uh, and want to go back to the way things were pre-COVID, pre, pre-2020, and Trump's the, the obvious answer. But you would agree, and I've told Rev this, Rev wants there to be a switch. We all do. We all want there to be a switch on the wall where we turn off the establishment and turn on America first. I mean, that's not the no, way this game's played. Exactly I mean, don't. it's not. It is a transition. It is a gradual, incremental, right. um, you know, a, a step forward, a half step back. Right, no, two I, steps forward, two steps back. I mean, there, there will be setbacks, but yep. but I think eventually, I mean, if we're going to restore some sense of responsibility to our government, and I'm talking about of the people, yep. you know, representative of the people, we're going to have to endure right. some of the battles and setbacks. And don't blame me. Don't blame Donald Trump. Blame blame James Madison. The founding fathers kind of set this up. Tells you a lot about 
the conservative nature. All right, every member of the House is up for election every two years. The Senate, though, is staggered. Only a third of the Senate comes up for election every two years. So if you want to make these big, drastic, radical changes, you got to win a series of elections over time. Not just one, but you got to win them over cycles over time to make those big, drastic changes that you want to make. And that's why the two-year and six-year term, uh, they felt the Mm two-year term would reflect somewhat of a sugar high. Yep. You know, the, the, this, this fit and rage America finds itself in. <laughs> That's what but it you're not going to change the Senate every two years. You're going to wait and methodically and incrementally um, have yep. to do that. I've said it before, Bolt. I think the great mistake that the Republicans could make, I don't know that they make this mistake, but the great mistake Republicans could make is believing that Trump voters are Republican voters. Yep. Trump voters are Trump voters. That's good. I mean, they, they're, they're, ver- they're voting for um, the, the, this this larger than life political figure, this unicorn in politics, will they hang around right, and support after. America first after Trump rides off into the sunset? Whether it's yeah. this year or in four years, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. And I I don't know what the percentage is, but probably a third, a quarter of Trump voters America are former Democrats. And so, right, if you have a sort of a smiling, typical businessman Republican. Do those guys sort of revert, go back to the Democratic Party, go back to Mama, or do they stick with? So if you sort of run a continuing line of America Firsters, then you can sort of solidify them, their children, and really broaden the Republican Party. But if you sort of reverse course and go back to the old ways, you're probably going to lose those guys. Well, you, you would agree with this, I think. You would agree that the um, the America First agenda is not conservative in nature. It's more no, practical. No. It's not yeah, about— Yeah, pragmatic. It, it's, yeah. Not, it's not National Review Weekly Standard. It's not George <laughs> Will or William Buckley. Great way to I put mean, it, it's, yes. it's not an academic understanding of smaller government and lower and right. lower it's, taxes. It's not a Ted Cruz. It's populism. Exactly. I mean, it's populism-centric, right. and um, and it could be—I mean, we, we could find—I'll I'll make this prediction. I think in the next 20 years— a handful of Democrat governors will get elected as America First Democrats. Possibly. I really I believe that. I mean, if I were going to run for governor of South Carolina mm-hmm. today, I'd run as a Democrat. I think it'd be fun to run as a Democrat America Firster. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 mm-hmm. I can see that happening in places like, like West Virginia. In certain, certain states, it, it works. It's not going to work in New York, Massachusetts, California. But again, you're more rural states, Midwest, South. Again, for the Democratic Party to kind of rebrand itself and to be competitive in some of these states, it's it's probably worth a shot. Because you would agree Trump is the Democrats' worst nightmare when it comes to the working class. Oh, he, he siphoned off how many votes that they sort of took for granted for generations. And it's old. What have you done for me lately? I mean, we've been talking about this trade deals, right? Our wages have gone up. We're paying more for health care. What have you done? You haven't done anything. You've forgotten about us. And here comes Trump says, no, we're going to try and do something. We're going to try and even and level the playing field. And yes, again, we don't know the exact percentage, but a large, large number of Trump supporters are former Democrats. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Dr. Will Bolt, History Chair, Francis Marion University, willing to talk about nearly every subject under the sun, <laughs> except Alex Jones. Uh, we're going to leave Alex Jones alone for just a bit. But, but well, when, it would get my mind off the bills at least. But, but yeah. I, mean, I, I want to go back to the previous conversation. Do you or do you believe or not? And Rev, you can jump in. I mean, do you believe or not that the America First platform, some of the talking points, could be hijacked by Democrats in certain places? I think it would make political sense to sort of get on board with this bandwagon. Probably not in like your your more liberal areas, New York or California. But if you're a, a Democrat, maybe trying to look at make a name for yourself and get statewide. South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, 
yeah, what, what, what do you got to lose? Try, try and dabble that. And you'd probably siphon off if you get the traditional Democrats to bring along and get some Republicans say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give this individual a shot. What do you got to lose? And the Democratic Party probably needs a little bit of a, a rebranding, uh, a fresh take on some issues, if you will. So yeah, it's, it's what do you got to lose? I wouldn't want to give Democrats any ideas, but they'd be very smart to do that. <laughs> right. Bill, Bill, Bill Maher has said this. I mean, Maher has says, listen to what Trump says. Forget the man. For forget the um, <laughs> you know, the um the disgusting nature of his personality. I mean, but listen yeah. to some of what of what he says. I mean, he's talking about the American worker. He's talking about the American family. He's talking about the American way of life. You don't know if he means it. I don't know if he means it. Bolt doesn't know if he's <laughs> if he's sincere or not. Guess what? If he's insincere, he's in the right business because very few of those candidates mean um, what, what they say. What do you make of Governor Haley coming to South Carolina and losing potentially by 20, 25, 30 points? Is it, I mean, is it really, will she make that decision post New Hampshire? Let's Maybe. play this out hypothetically. Yeah. I mean, our good friend Robert Haley has it 58, 36, and this was yesterday in favor of Trump. If Nikki loses New Hampshire 58 to 36, the polls have Trump north of 60 in South Carolina. I mean, my, my, my phrase is at least Mondale won his home state. <laughs> I mean, is that the, the writing of your political obituary if you decide to come to South Carolina and take that it's, chance? Yeah, it's, it's tough. You got you to gotta win, or at least you can't lose by double, by double digits. It's got to come down to the wire. Uh, that and she's yeah I don't know if there's we, we were kind of talking about DeSantis maybe finding an off ramp and he just pulled the ripcord all of a sudden on a Sunday but morning. But he's living to fight another day. So well, well, he, exactly. He endorsed Trump. Right. I mean, did, he, did the right thing. And in Trump the retired end. the nickname Ronda Sanctimonious. <laughs> officially retired the the nickname. <laughs> so. I mean I think DeSantis left in, in a way that allows him to consider something after 2024. Yeah, right. And and maybe if Governor Haley wants to make her last stand here in her home state. This is the hill that she. She wants to die, but if she loses bad, if it's if it's sixty to forty or even more, then maybe you just gotta say, I, just for dignity's sake, she's still young. She's still got gonna have more offices. And the only reason why Mondale won Minnesota in '84 is Dutch had a Reagan had a, an event scheduled there right before the election and decided to cancel the event. Just sort of, it was kind of like the he didn't want to run up the score. Gave him at least a chance. Reagan knew he wasn't gonna win the district of Columbia. So it didn't really matter what happened, but a, a classy move by President Reagan. And if you don't believe Trump is into gamesmanship <laughs> and playing for keeps, I mean, he's in New Hampshire, yeah, I don't. and he has no endorsers from New Hampshire. They're all from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine that. I mean, Trump flies every South Carolina endorsement elected official he can to New Hampshire to say, hey, she's the governor of this state, and, and all these people were once her supporters. Now they're my supporters. I mean, that's playing for keeps. I mean, that, that's trying to end it right now. And I just think Nikki has a very, very tough – well, it's not – it'll be tough for me. I mean, I can tell you that. It would not be tough for me at all. I mean, I, I would – at the end of the night tonight, I would make an announcement that we are suspending our campaign and ain't no way I'm coming to South Carolina writing my political obituary. But consultants like getting paid. Candidates like hearing um, that they're all that. Consultants will tell candidates, you're all that. You can win. I mean, don't trust the polls. They're not interested in that candidate's well-being. They're interested in their bank account. And if they've got a Gulfstream payment due, they'll convince her to come to South Carolina and um, and take a thumping. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Hey, Jim, you are on with Dr. Bolt. Hey, good, mo- good morning, guys. Good morning, so if, 
if you have any tomatoes to throw, <laughs> hold on. Let me finish before I, I – don't throw them yet before I finish. <clears throat> Isn't John Fetterman trying or dabbling in the, the idea of America first from the Democrat perspective? He is. That's a good point. Yeah. He is. Yeah. And, and as we've seen him recover – I mean, especially when he talks about immigration, he really is saying some interesting things that are not towing the party line. I get it. He's fun to make fun of maybe for some (laughs) folks, but um, could could he be better for Pennsylvania than Dr. Oz? I mean, that's, you know, that's a rabbit hole to to go down. Um, But Ken, maybe later on, I'd like to get your opinions on what you would do if you were Abbott this morning down in Texas um obviously you're not but you know if you were um uh and uh for conspiracies ken i would say um china intentionally released uh, covid19 would be uh creme de la creme of conspiracies right now but thank you ken thank you that that see and there you go so the conspiracy theory was that it was not naturally mutated I mean, it was a it was a um a lab leak. I mean, there yeah. was a lab leak, and I mean, that was crazy. I mean, there's no way they would ever allow that to happen. I mean, because that's, that's what the narrative. That's what they told sure. us happened. Well, I mean, not only what they told us to happen, Rev, they disallowed any debate about the other. Right. I mean, they basically said social media. I mean, it, you know, it would get that stamp. Uh, I sent something out one day, and you said, "Hey, your um your Facebook post got labeled," and all I said was. I'm not sure I trust the, the government. I don't, I'm not sure I take the government at its word that they're convinced this came from a wet market. In the early days, they were trying to push this wet market narrative. I mean, we know it's, a, it's got all the markings. It's got all the, the genome sequencing of a, of a wet market. And then all of a sudden we find out, eh, may not have been telling us the, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So, so to Josh's point, a second ago, if we believe they lied to us about not even considering whether it's a, why wouldn't you consider, did they infect a Chinese and put him on a plane and send him to LAX, hoping that the largest economy in the history of mankind would have some issues relating to a pandemic. Um, I mean, it, there is no end there. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to put that on the table. I am, and, and I guess, Bolt, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling here, but stick You're with fine. me. No, no. That's your show. I think... Well, it's our show right now. Um, I think it's very reasonable to believe now that they were dishonest about allowing a debate, lab leak, or or, or some sort of wet market. I, but I, but but asking me to go to the next step of conspiracy theories and said not only did they contrive and and allow the lab leak intentionally, they infected a Chinese, put him on a plane send him to America, he lands here, they know it's highly contagious, we'd freak out once that came. You see where I'm headed? There's right. almost oh, yeah. no bounds, once no you, limits to you, where those theories go. Earlier, once you sure. go down the rabbit hole, you, you, you don't stop. Right. I think most Americans would probably be willing to say that I, it, it, it perhaps was cooked up in a lab and inadvertently, accidentally got out. You're the, comfortable the, saying the next, that. I'm comfortable saying right, that. Right. I think I, there's a, a strong possibility, right? You know, not 100% sure, but right. It it, it it makes sense. I could see that. Being this some sort of master plan, there's a master of puppets saying we're going to give it to a guy, put him on a plane. That's, that's, that makes for a good spy novel, maybe like a Tom Clancy book. There's something along. I can't really get get to that point yet. 
But again, I mean, who who knows if the the truth, the documents will will ever come out. We'll probably be rehashing this ten years from now. Uh, but again, there's it's it's a fun debate, and again, we just got to be careful. It's about a which very way we serious go. debate. I mean, yeah. it's, it's no, very, no, you're right. You're uh, very, very, and, and, but it's a debate that we're probably never going to have closure on, sadly, right? So, but but let's pursue the truth. I mean, even if we never get to the truth, let's exert all the energy yeah. we can to try and find out the truth. I think that's a lot of the concern the American people have. It's got to fit the narrative. The truth is here. Uh, we don't know. Bold just said it. I don't know what happened, and I certainly don't know what happened. I have these impulses that lead me to believe certain things uh, we've been misled about, but but I think the pursuit of the truth, you, you gain the confidence of the American people back. Um, I'll give you another example, Josh. I know the music's playing. I mean, don't put a January 6th commission together and put everybody on the commission to vote to impeach Donald Trump. I mean, just, just try to be a little more objective. People don't believe you're looking for the truth when you do that. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I just got a text from Francis Marion said, who is this guy on there uh, with you? Um, Dr. Will Bolt steps into very unconventional territory. I don't want to say unfriendly because I try to respect these guys and their job and occupations. And I think it's very refreshing to hear an academic come into a place that most academics say, I don't know if I want to do that and kind of engage an audience and give opinions. And I think it's, um, it's interesting and productive to kind of bridge that gap between where a lot of us perceive academia to be and truly where, where academics uh, really are. I mean, it's a wide variety, right? Bold. I mean, I think that's, that's fair to say. I mean, you, you, you talk about in certain disciplines, there are more conservative professors in other disciplines. There are more liberal professors. You told me that over the years. Oh, absolutely. And that, that now explains the text that I just got that said, bring some moving boxes when you come into your office (laughs) this morning. So yeah, it's all all coming into focus all of a sudden, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I do. I do enjoy it. This is a, this is a good gig. I enjoy uh, listening to the callers, listening to the audience, uh, and a holiday by week. I enjoy being with you guys. So what do you think happens today? I mean, Trafalgar has it 58-36 Trump. Uh, Boston Globe has it 57-38 Trump. Insider Advantage has it 62-35 Trump. To me, the number, and I'm going to be the politico here for a second, to me, the number is Nikki and 40. Yeah, I think if can Nikki get in the forties? If Nikki can right. get in the forties, there's a way to leave there. I mean, it's over, guys. I mean, it's over. But people need to be paid. Uh, media needs to. I mean, there's a, there's a campaign to cover. Um, yeah. Every consultant in South Carolina are begging for Nikki to get in the forties and keep yeah. this thing right. somewhat. What do you make of One that? One more butt at the apple. Uh, even even low forty, like fifty eight forty one. Is that really a? That's a tough way to kind of spin that as a victory now come up to your home state where it, it, it could be even worse. But yeah, if she doesn't, uh, it's gotta be mid forties. It's got like 55, 45, something along that, you know, if it's like double digits, even, even more than like 57, 43, I think you got, you got to find an exit strategy. You don't want to get humbled. just embarrassed, uh, in your home state in South Carolina. You're still young. You still got other, uh, potential offices to run for other ways to be a public servant. Again, you kind of come here and you, you, you take on the, if you take a shot at the king, you you you, you can't miss. You got to knock him down. And if you lose bad in your home state, uh, people aren't going to forget that. I think it's hard to fathom the amount of money that won't be made if Trump runs the table. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm I'm serious, guys. I mean, you've never run for office, Bolt. Yeah, Rev, I mean, yeah. you kind of know the way that 
that world works. I, it, it, whatever you believe it is, it's a hundred times more lucrative. <laughs> I mean, whoever you believe is getting paid X number of dollars, they're getting paid a hundred times more than you believe they're getting paid. Um, I mean, there are $250,000 donations made. There are half a million dollar donations made. There are political action committees that have been formed waiting on funds to flow in if it's competitive. I mean, yep. if, let, let's say Nikki pulls a rabbit out of the hat, sure. and it's fifty-two forty-eight. Yeah, surprise. Um, yeah. I mean, there will be happened. there will be millions of dollars made yes. in South oh, yes. Carolina. There will be millions of dollars made on Super Tuesday when the right. you know the the, the other around. ballots of the states right. uh, make their decision. Um, and I've said it before: money's the answer. Now, what's the question? <laughs> follow the money. Yeah. Follow the money. Follow the money. If there's any way to convince Governor Haley that there's a path forward, they will convince her. Yeah. Because if you think about it, politicians, by their nature, are very egotistical. They're, they're very sure of themselves. And if Nikki can, can figure out a way to get within 10, let's say Bolt's right yeah, about the double figures, and you leave their 54-46. I mean, I can't see that happening. But let's say a bunch of Democrats register yeah, and a bunch of independents show up. She overperforms. Trump crowds kind of think they've got it in the bag. They don't show up. 54-46, you come to South Carolina, whether she wins or not, there's a lot of money uh, to be yeah. made. I wish that weren't the case. I wish money were not <laughs> as important in politics, but it is, Dr. Bolt. And New Hampshire is, is kind of that, that that weird state. It can kind of go, you know, the, the live free or die mentality they have up there. New, New Hampshire has kind of changed in the past 15 to 20 years. A lot. There's been an exodus from Massachusetts. People sort of Escaping the high taxes from Tax that state. is what it's I heard right. someone say. Oh, in the 1980s, right with Dukakis. How'd that work out for the Democrats <laughs> later on? But no, you the sort of the southern areas. They've they've gone there to sort of escape the high taxes, but they they've brought a lot of their cultural, economic, political views with them uh, as well. So it might be enough. Maybe to just she guts out a, a moral victory. But again, the polls seem to suggest suggest something else. Uh, but it, again, it'll be fast. And when you think about it, just the, the human effect of how many jobs will be lost if this is wrapped up, just consultants and other sort of minor little staff where this is going to be, this is going to be my gig for three, four months, maybe like a summer job. And now it's probably going to, the rug's going to get pulled out for money just because Trump is so, so popular. So yeah, I forgot about that aspect. Do the Republicans circle the wagons? I mean, that's the concern a lot of America firsters have. Um, can you win without 15% of the GOP base? And yeah. the GOP base has said over and over again, loudly and proudly, that if Trump's the nominee, I'm staying home. Yeah. Well, I think that that's the, that's the beauty in America. We vote in, not in public, but in private. And so maybe a lot of people will probably hold their nose. Saying, ah, you know, I don't really like it, but look at the alternative. That might be the, uh, you know, if you're the Trump campaign, that that's the ad that you run. You want four more years of this? You know, give me give me a second chance. And so I think mo in in the end, a lot of the ones who are the the Republicans who said, nah, nah, I can't stand Trump. He's bad for the party. I'm staying home. Uh, they'll come out and maybe just uh, look the other way and pull that lever. Did you think <laughs> in 16 that by 24, roughly 70 percent of identifying Republicans would call themselves America first? That's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. Kind of going in, we were led to believe in 2016 that this was going to be a, a runaway for Clinton. There were stories that Texas and South Carolina were in play. And so you know, when you got kind of got home that election, I was like, wait, what the heck is, what is this? I mean, one of the biggest surprises and sort of sort of led to the start of distrust if the polls got it 
so, so wrong in that instance. But, yes, I mean, here, we're, 2024, we're still talking about the guy, and probably we're going to be talking about him for four more years, it's looking like now. It's, it's almost inevitable, dare we say. Some love it. Some don't care <laughs> for it so much. Uh, I would say, let me ask you this yeah. before we get out of here, Josh, and now we got to take a break. What is the difference in being a Buffalo Bills fan, a passionate, loyal fan of a, of a city and a team, and being a, a college football fan? You went to Tennessee. Yes, you're so a volunteer. There are a lot of similarities, but this tells you all you need to know. Buffalo Bills fans start tailgating on Friday night before a Sunday in games, so they are very, very lubed up by the the start of, by the start of the game on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday Sunday. But it just as as the Bills go, so goes that city, and we're, we're the brunt of a lot of jokes. You saw all the bad weather that happened. Again, we don't have any other professional team. We've got a hockey team. Who cares about that? But this is one our one sort of way to say we're relevant, right? We're a part of the national narrative, and the Bills have been good, just can't quite get over the hump, and another tough loss to Kansas City. So a lot of Lamar Jackson and Baltimore Ravens fans in Baltimore right now. I would imagine that. Thank you for your time. Have a good week, guys. We'll take We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You know, it's a little bit of a letdown when you think about it. South Carolina, first in the South, we pick presidents. But if Trump runs away with it in New Hampshire, I mean, it, it, that, that, the luster's gone. Well, I mean, and there's I was, nothing here. This may be a little selfish on my part, but I remember that 2020 was pretty exciting because there was such a focus on South Carolina. There were national debates amongst the Republican candidates, and most of them were still in in South Carolina. And we had several of them come by and visit us in studio or on location with the show as they were making their way through. And, of course, there was an opportunity to see the candidates in person at uh, events all over our area. And I was looking forward to that again. Yeah, there won't be – you'll see it again in 28, but in 24. I mean, this is just the era of Trump. And, um, I mean, he's dominated the Republican Party unlike any candidate ever has, like it, hate it, uh, you know, wish it were different, wish he would be fundamentally different. I guess the biggest question is who does he pick as his VP? I mean, who does Donald Trump pick to be his running mate? I have no idea. I mean, I can't – you know, I hope it's someone a bit forward-looking – um, Robert believes the best decision Trump can make is pick a VP that agrees I'm leaving when you leave. And the slate is clean. And Marsha Blackburn has no interest in being president, can get elected president. But if, if she, if, if he picks Blackburn, then it's known that in 28, there's going to be a free for all for the Republican, you know, for the heir apparent to Donald Trump's movement within the Republican party, and, and the voters can decide yeah, and, and let Ramaswamy and Nikki and DeSantis and, uh, a Trumpless primary, um, and not the Trump heir apparent. If Trump picks Ramaswamy, hypothetically, he has the leg up. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, if Trump picks Christy Noam, I mean, she has the leg up. If Trump picks a business lady from California, I mean, she has the leg up. Whoever Trump picks, if they're young and are interested in the 28 nomination, they're going to be the prohibitive favorite. That means they'll win but they're going to be the favorite. But if Trump picks a Marsha Blackburn and they agree, um, I'm out of here when you're out of here, then 28, it's, it's kind of a free-for-all. J.D. Vance is another name that I've heard bandied about and kind of the short list of VP candidates. Um, you know, what state do you need help in? Is, um, is Brian Kemp on the list? I don't think so. I mean, I think Kemp and Trump have had some pretty significant disagreements about the 2020 election and what should or should not have been done in Georgia. And we know that Trump's not the forgiving kind. He's not the, you know, the one to say, 
Well, I mean, let's meet in the middle. Nah, uh, Trump is not. That's not the kind of dude he is. And um, and but we'll, we'll watch it play itself out. Um, that that's kind of an interesting, the most interesting short term question to me is what Haley does tomorrow morning if Trump is close to sixty and she's less than forty. I mean, you think there's a chance she could see the writing on the wall and not want to be embarrassed in I, South Carolina I can't at imagine. this point? Well, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, you want to live to fight another day. You can't be blind by your ego. I mean, you just can't. You got to, at some point in time, somebody's got to have your political best. Now, the advantage Nikki has of coming and seeing it through is she's made her her decision, and her decision is to be the, the opposite of Donald Trump. I am uh, the status quo. I am the establishment-oriented candidate. I am a throwback. I am, you know, a, um, a reflection of a kinder, gentler, more organized, more cerebral uh, Republican Party. I'm not saying that flies or not, but that could be her strategy. I think the, the strategy Nikki has is hoping the train runs completely off the track after Trump wins the nomination, and at 28, she can be the, the person that says, I told you so. Too risky. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Most of you will never have a chance to be on the board at Boeing. Most of you will never have millionaires, billionaires, and gazillionaires donate money to political action committee so you can put your name and lights on signs and seek public office. Most of us follow normal career paths. And one of the things we've done here at Community Broadcast, other than broadcasting the most dynamic conservative radio show in the history of mankind. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say in a single market in the history of mankind. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, we also have ancillary ways of involving ourselves in the community. Wayne Mulling is I want to make sure I get this right. Um, you say it, Rev, because I want to give you a chance to brown those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Mulling is oh, vice president. <laughs> How was that? Uh, Mr. Mulling is vice president and general manager of the South Carolina radio stations for community broadcasters. I call him Boss Man. Anyway, Boss right. Man is here. He's the man. This morning. Good morning, morning sir. Guys. Good, Good morning. How are Thank you? you for letting me come in. Well, I mean, career fair. Um, mm-hmm. That's been kind of an annual event that community broadcasters have, has been very involved in. Um, that's today. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow and Thursday. Tomorrow and Thursday. So so Wayne's here to engage our listeners about where, when, and what may be important to you. Mm -hmm. So, Wayne, the floor is yours. Thank you. This is our sixth one, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. I didn't know that. And uh, it's going to be Wednesday in Sumter at the uh, Sumter Civic Center, and then Thursday in Florence and Orangeburg. Florence will be at the... uh, uh, Staybridge Suites, and in Orangeburg, it will be at the cinema, and everybody knows where that's at in Orangeburg. Um, we, every year, we do this twice a year, August and January, because, you know, there's a huge need. And it's interesting because every time we put one on, I think, okay, is there still a need? And guys, believe it or not, this is going to be our biggest one yet. Uh, we already have about 130 businesses that are signed up between here and Sumter and Orangeburg to be at these career fairs that are looking to hire people now full-time. And uh, if you are a person in South Carolina and the sound of my voice, man, you need to be at one of these or all three or whatever, because there are great businesses that have partnered with us to help promote this and to hire people on the spot, always, there's always people that are hired on the spot. And I mean, of every 
career path that you can think of. And Wayne, this is not just for people who don't have a job. You may have a job and not be real crazy about your job. Yeah. Um, you may be in a job that you feel is a dead end job and you, you know, you, you can, I mean, I, I would imagine there's, they're not going to call your current employer and say, Hey, let me tell you who's here at the job fair looking for a better opportunity. Right. But that's what workers owe themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always tell everybody you only live once and you want to be happy doing what you're doing. And one of the biggest parts of anybody's life is the job where they work at. And if you're a person that has a job and you're not happy where you're at, or you need to make a change, uh, by all means, you need to be here. You know what? This is an area that we have seen growth in, especially in the last couple of years with new businesses moving in here. And there's all kinds of people that are moving here. Got an email this week from a lady that said her, she and her husband were coming that are moving here from up North. And she said, I need a job. Tell me what time this thing starts and where I can go. And all three markets is going to start at 11 o'clock and we'll go till three and you'll have opportunity to sit right there and meet these people and to talk to them and see if you have what they're looking to hire for. I mean, it's incredible. uh, The variety of businesses, everything from staffing agencies all the way across the board that will be there hiring. Wayne radio Rev and I talk a lot more than, than you and I talk because we're together every day, but radio has become very corporate and impersonal. Mm-hmm. That's the opposite of community broadcasters. It is. I mean, when, when, when these guys bought the company, I realized very quick that they were going to invest in, 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 I don't want to say talent in personalities that, that are from here involved themselves in the community. That seems to be at odds with what radio in general is doing. I mean, I'm not saying discuss that or explain that, but why does community broadcasters go against the grain when, when sure. other radio stations are being run by computers and, and New York City consultants, we have real people in real buildings doing real things in real yeah. communities. It's in our very name. And then the, our name, Community Broadcasters, is not just something that we picked because it sounds good. We are deeply involved in the community, and we do this type of thing all year long. You know from the uh, Children's Miracle Network that we uh, this past year we raised a record amount of money for McLeod Children's Hospital and we're thrilled to do those type of things. And this is one big one where the, I saw uh, about two and a half years ago that there was a huge need for uh, for people to be able to come almost to, you might want to call it a one-stop shop of all of these businesses that are there that are looking to hire and get yourself a job or get a better job or get a different job. And uh, if you want to look at all three markets and you want to be able to see what businesses are there, you can go to carolinacareerfair.com. That's carolinacareerfair.com, and you can look at all three markets, Orangeburg, Sumter, and Florence, and see the businesses there. You can click on their logos, see what they're all about, and have yourself prepared uh, for the job for the career fair on Wednesday and Thursday. And again, when and where? I mean, let, let's make sure people <clears throat> understand the dates and times clearly. <clears throat> sure. So Wednesday, <clears throat> uh, which is tomorrow, will be in Sumter at the Sumter Civic Center, eleven to three. And uh, I think they've got over forty something businesses already that are going to be there. And then Thursday from eleven to three. Thursday we've done it every year at uh, Staybridge Suites, which is right down from the Florence Center, in Florence, and at the Cinema, which is a huge business traffic area in uh, Orangeburg, from eleven to three. And we will be there. Our staff will be there. People to talk to you, 
and help you go through the process. Okay, thank you very much. You want to you want to brown nose any more, Rev, or have you done it? <laughs> well, Mr. I, Mull- you want to say anything else nice about Mr. Ahead. Mulling before he leaves? Well, Mr. Mulling did such a great job. There's really nothing to add to, to what he said. <laughs> I, I will say we want to thank our title sponsors yes. uh, for the career fairs in all three markets. Uh, Pepsi of Florence uh, supporting the uh, Florence Career Fair Pilgrims in Sumter and Landmark Construction in Orangeburg. In Orangeburg. We, we appreciate yes. them very much. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Mulling. Appreciate you coming by <laughs> and uh, sharing that good information and appreciate the job you do. And I mean that sincerely. Thank you. Wayne has been a big supporter of what we do here. And um, the biggest. And, and we couldn't do it without him. I mean, no question about it. These guys support our efforts and we try to give them a decent enough product to go out and not be so embarrassed by to, to convince sponsors uh, to be a part of this. I'll tell you, this morning when we were off the air, I had about six texts in 10 minutes. Josh had about, what, 10 phone calls in a few minutes. It's become a part of people's routine, and we certainly don't take that for granted. We really appreciate you allowing us to be a part of your day each and every each and every morning. And I would be lying through my teeth if I didn't say that some of my curiosity of the Trump campaign is commerce-based. Rev and I have talked a lot about this. I don't have any idea what led to Rush Limbaugh. I mean, I don't. I can't remember the event that allowed conservative talk radio to be such a force in, in political medium, but there is no doubt that Donald Trump has been um, the accelerant on the fire, so to speak. I mean, you could say he's rocket fuel, if nothing else. I mean, we know what our ratings were, what our shares were, and we know <laughs> what they are now, and it really is the moment that Trump showed up. You know, the uh, the Christian calendar, B.C. and A.D., it's almost like the talk radio <laughs> calendar could be B.T. and A.T. before Trump. <laughs> And after Trump, I guess one of the in a way you're well, right. I mean, one of the one of the tragedies in all of this is Rush Limbaugh not living long enough to have a hand in it. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about where we are now and where we potentially could have been had Rush been on the air twelve to three every day, brilliantly delivering some of his talking points and and understandings of of where we are and why we're here and where we're headed. I have no idea what Limbaugh would have eventually thought of America first. Because Limbaugh was a little bit more sympathetic to corporate America than I've been. I mean, he was kind of a um, a true market or a true free market believer. And I think my days in politics kind of scarred me from believing in the genuine free market. We had crony capitalism, which is not capitalism per se. And I just wonder, I do wonder what Limbaugh, what, what, what sort of evolution would he have made over the last eight years when Trump gets elected in 16, uh, Limbaugh died in 20, 21. I mean, he saw Limbaugh, he saw Trump win and lose, but, um, but he didn't get to see Trump win again. And I just, I really wonder what his opinion of where we are would be and what some of his, um, very interesting and prophetic talking points, uh, what would have been. There have been so many times over the last two years that I I've wished he was here. There was so much going on and, you know, that, that needs his perspective. It really would be helpful to have his perspective. And unfortunately, and he was one of a kind, he invented the genre. I mean, you asked how, where he came from and he did invent it. He did it better than anybody. And, you know, we're all here doing this because he did. Yeah. And and there's not many days that go by. I'd be lying if I said every day, I think of Limbaugh, but there's not many days that, that I think of the opportunity I've been afforded and I'm in, in the weirdest way imaginable, he's partially responsible for everybody who's ever had 
a chance to give political opinions over the airways and attract, to some degree, a um, a decent percentage of the listening audience. Um, thank you, Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Donald Trump, <laughs> for being the accelerant. Well, and he just gave you something well, interesting I mean, he, to talk uh, about. He gave us a lot and, to and, talk about. And a moving target at all times. No doubt about it. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hello, you're on. Hey, talking about local market, uh, they brought up a good point. Back in 2016, I think uh, we had Ted Cruz in town. He, I think he was at the SIMT Center. Um, Jeb Bush was at the uh, farmer's market. Uh, John Kasich was at Francis Marion. And in fact, he actually went to Orangeburg to the Duke's barbecue one day. Uh, we had Ben Carson. Uh, I don't remember where Rubio was at, but we all know Trump went to the Florence Center. So I guess that took a lot of the air out of everybody else uh, when he did that. But I want to talk about the state of New Sununu. Uh, that's where they're at today. And I think you've talked about Chris Sununu. Uh, that's the governor. He's been squaring around Nikki Haley. Uh, he's the current governor, but his daddy was, was the governor at one time. His name was John H. Sununu, and he was the chief of staff for uh, George H.W. Bush uh, back in those days. And uh, there's another, there's a John E. Sununu. Uh, he was in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate, and now he's a lobbyist and investment uh, banker. So that kind of shows you that a little bit of establishment there. And, Ken, you've, you brought up some good points about this money and stuff. And I watched some of these shows yesterday, and I just went back and we were talking about the Buffalo Bills. You know, Tim Brustert used to, to uh, host Meet the Press. And back in 1992, uh, the Iowa caucus was won by a guy named Tom Harkin, which he was a senator from Iowa. But you know who was a part of his staff, whatnot, is Chuck Todd. Can you imagine that? And then you had a New Hampshire primary back in 1992, and people don't know this, but you'll see the narrative, you see all this about the comeback kid, Bill Clinton. Well, Bill Clinton didn't win that uh, primary. A guy named Paul Songus won it. And he he termed uh, Bill Clinton a pander bear and slick willy. But. Whoever controls the narrative controls the truth. And I was thinking about all the consultant class, political operatives, the media, and look at the people on TV now. Stephanopoulos, he owns the show uh, this week. Carville, he's on MSNBC. Bogalas on CNN. These are the media attack dogs. And it, it kind of frustrates me, that whole industry. And back in those days, Clinton, they had a Super Tuesday. I think he won then. And I, I know, Ken, you were involved with the Giuliani campaign, and he sort of, I guess he thought he was just going to super bypass or whatever Iowa, New Hampshire, all that, get to Florida. And I think back in that year they had like a super, super Tuesday. But the political class has done a good job in making Iowa and New Hampshire so important because I'm watching these people at the polls today. There ain't much diversity in those two states, so I'll leave you at that. Uh, we'll see what happens tonight, but we'll see what happens in South Carolina. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. A lot of historical references uh, in David's bit, but it's 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 going to be different because we've we've all we've never, or I don't remember. I'm not saying never. I mean, I don't remember ever leaving New Hampshire. With, with one guy so solidly the favorite. I mean, you leave New Iowa, you go to New Hampshire. I mean, you know you got major what I call top-tier candidates, second-tier candidates.
candidates. But, I mean, we've got one candidate with a chance to win the Republican primary and a lady that is doing whatever it is she's doing. I mean, I have no idea what our grand strategy is. Um, some of me says, and I, and I think Nikki, eh, I know a little bit about her. I mean, I think Nikki could be guilty of getting in a bubble and riding around with Sununu and talking to a lot of, um, you know, some of the corporations and insiders and establishment-oriented, you know, ruling class members. And I think they can convince her that, you know, some of the chatter you hear out here is not real. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that you could be that naive. The, the person, I mean, the thing you got to remember, guys, the coach in a football game, especially now, I mean, it would have been different back in the day, but if a kid now is suspected of had a concussion, the coach can't take the chance to put the kid back in the game. I mean, there's some liability, there's some health uh, relation. I mean, it's just a big gamble to do that. The consultants are different. I mean, the, the candidate is expendable. I mean, there's no loyalty there. The consultant is in it for one month, one thing, to get paid. I mean, obviously, they want to win. That's how they build a name, and you find more clients and more clientele, and you, you, you make more money. But it's all about the money to the consultants. Conservative Inc. is not interested in conservative ideology. Conservative Inc. is about an incorporated way to make money. I mean, that, that's what they do. And they like bigger homes, and they like more planes, and they like longer vacations. And, you know, the perception of how they are the perception of how they do. Why would the Lincoln Project hire the guy that ran Mitt Romney's campaign? I mean, ask yourself that. I mean, it's obvious he's not real good at it. I mean, the economy was soft. People questioned Obama's radicalism, and Romney lost. But the guy that ran Romney's campaign ends up with a gig, pays him a lot of money, and corporations and private donors still give the Lincoln Project enormous amounts of money. Why? I mean, the guy's proven to not be real good at the job. He couldn't get Mitt Romney elected, but he's running the Lincoln Project, or that cadre of folks are running uh, the Lincoln Project. That's what I think people, people are angry at Conservative Inc., but they don't really understand why. I mean, Josh was talking about they're corrupt and dishonest. Well, they are, but let's explain the corruption. Let's give examples of the dishonesty. And if Nikki Haley believes that the consulting class won't take money from donors and allow her to come to South Carolina and get her ass handed to her, she'll find out something the hard way. And I mean that sincerely. She is a political object to them. There is no loyalty to Nikki Haley. They're loyalty to their bank account. And as long as donors will fund Haley's campaign, consultants will take that money and continue trying to convince her that there's an outside chance you can win this thing, Nikki. 843-661-0937. And we ought to be putting that money to the bank so we can beat a Democrat come November. Take a break. Back in a few. I'd like to say that everything we do here is totally planned and orchestrated. Very little of what we do is planned and orchestrated. But we never go into anything blind, except now. Josh doesn't even know this. Josh, can you put me in queue? I want to go to Tucker Carlson and Alex <laughs> Jones just a few moments. I have no idea. <laughs> this may be risky. Well, I mean, it may, we're, we're, we're at the six minute 40, with the six minute 40 second um, bit or, or mark of the, the, the Tucker Carlson encounter with Alex <laughs> Jones. And I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't know if they're talking about um, the CIA implanting spying devices on all of us. <laughs> you can bet it's a sleep. conspiracy, whatever. Well, I mean, they, 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 you, you can bet they're not talking about the menu 
at your local diner, rest assured. Um, and it's interesting to me to visually watch Tucker look at Alex like, this cat is crazier than I am. I mean, they think I'm crazy. They ain't seen nothing yet. So, um, Josh, let's go to Tucker Carlson. Once again, I've got no idea what they're talking about. I just scrolled, found it. Um, this is 120, uh, 120, uh, can't be that. It can't be 123, 124. I mean, it can't be 123, the year 24 is not even that. That's, that's today. today. Yeah, they probably posted it today. Anyway, here, here goes. The context from five, six years before blew him up as a current thing out of context and deceptively reported on what I'd said to create a straw man argument to then facilitate the reason. What, what's was- so crazy is if you asked just a cross section of Americans who's responsible for the Sandy Hook massacre of, of kids at the school, no one remembers the name of the murderer. Adam Lanza. Okay, thank you. I didn't remember. Alex Jones. They effectively blamed you for a school shooting that you were not present at. I have people come up to me in the parking lot. You can ask my security guy. He's been there when people walk up and go, why'd you kill those kids? And then you go, I didn't kill those kids. And they go, yeah, you did. And, and, and so that is what this has turned into. But, and this is bigger than me. I want people to understand something that the mullahs in Iran and the Ayatollah are congratulating Hamas that just killed around a thousand or more innocent Israelis, many of them women, children, disabled people in a vicious, evil sneak attack. They are on there, Hezbollah and, and, and Hamas, mainly Hamas, but it's Hezbollah funding it out of Iran are literally posting videos of them cutting people's heads off and killing children and and massacring innocent people. They're allowed to have their Hezbollah accounts and their Hamas accounts. The Ayatollah is able to congratulate what these people done, and I am still banned. And I'm not mad at Elon Musk. I understand I've been so demonized with the general public. He's barely able to keep Twitter going right now. I really appreciate what he's done. I admire him. I think he's done a lot of great work. And I, and I see him moving in the right direction. So a lot of people attack Musk on Twitter. Uh, you know, I trend all the time. Hey, if you're, if you're such an absolutist on free speech, bring back Alex Jones. Uh, I understand that if he did that, the ADL and others would really be able to, to probably shut down Twitter. So, so I understand that he needs to you know, go through a process before he does that. So people get mad at Twitter for not- Why the ADL? I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not the world's expert on your career, but I, I don't, I, I know you. I've never heard you say a single anti-Semitic thing and an anti-Israel thing. Why would the ADL be against you? I don't. I don't think you've. I don't think anyone's even called you an anti-Semite. Well, unless I'm missing something. I mean, what goes on is the left forever called everybody a racist if you were just a conservative or pro-Second Amendment or pro-life or thought we ought to have a border, uh, and that didn't work anymore to call people racist. And so the ADL gets all this big liberal donations. And so they go out and then police and take people's sponsors and, 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 and target them uh, just by the ADL calling up sponsors. Sponsors get scared and drop. And so that's what they've done to Elon Musk. They've been, you know, the, the, they took over 50% of Twitter's uh, North American and European advertising uh, in just the last year and, and bragged about it uh, by, by saying he gives harbor uh, to white supremacists, which, which, which he doesn't. But, but at the same time, White supremacists are are ridiculous. They're goofy. Most of them are usually working for foundations and are basically, you know, actors. We're not supposed to say that, but there's many cases of that actually being the case and that they're just uh, LARPing that they're white supremacists. But let those clowns speak. 
whatever happened to the ACLU that used to support the KKK marching through a town or publishing their own newspaper? I don't support the KKK. I think they're a joke. But if you take their rights, you're taking everybody's. But, but they're not even taking the rights of those people to post because they create fear and they get the ADL more funding. But if they can target an Alex Jones or an Elon Musk or a Tucker Carlson, uh, then they're going after the real populist leaders that are bringing America together. And so what the left wants is to divide us all according to race uh, and to come out and say fundamentally with critical race theory that inherently being white is bad and teaching five-year-old white children they're inherently bad because they're white. That is wounding their brains and, and really creating racial division. Why do people put up with that? I don't understand why. I mean, that's just, if you had told me 20 years ago, and I grew up in a world where judging people on the basis of their skin color was totally immoral, and, and I still believe that. But if you told me 20 years ago that we were going to live in a world where people get on TV and just be like, I hate white people, they're bad. No, it's totally fine. Like, why, why, why do people put up with that? Like, there should be zero tolerance for that. I don't get it. The Democratic Party founded the KKK. And when the majority were whites in the South in some areas, they played the race card for political power. Now that the majority in most areas are not white, they're playing the good old-fashioned race card of tell whites, you know, stand down, let people take over your society, your culture, give up your culture. It's, it's embarrassing to be white. And then now it's flat out bad to be white. And the left's trying to convert all these minority groups that are now the majority in most areas into race-based systems because that is a very effective but system. But why do people put up with that? I mean, like if they were doing that to Malaysians or Filipinos or Hondurans, I would say you can't do that. You're not allowed to attack people on the basis of their race. I'm sorry, not in a country like this because the country will fall apart and it's immoral. I totally agree. But nobody says anything. Well, I don't the, get it. The reason they've done it is most of the enforcers of this are white liberal women, 45 or older, not fair. It's just a fact. And they're, they're cucked husbands. And so to them... Can I just say that the phrase cucked husbands is the best? It, it, the I mean, best. it really is true. So if you get around these white liberals, they live in the whitest areas. They're totally scared of anybody with brown skin, but they virtue signal constantly and then say, yes, the white people are, are bad. You know, the uh, white people are, are evil. Uh, and, you know, these... The... We, we could go on forever. I mean, <laughs> I, I just wanted to hear some of what he... You know, I mean... He, a lot of people have formed an opinion of that guy and have never listened to that guy. I'm not defending anything he's ever said. I'll let you decide. But why is that guy not allowed to speak is my point. I got a text that said, why are you playing Alex Jones? Because I can. And I think everybody should be afforded an opportunity to bring whatever they choose to the debate. That's what America is about. That's what the First Amendment is about, the right to speak freely about things you believe in, things you want to debate, things you want to discuss. Does Alex Jones have a right, Josh, to suggest that Sandy Hook was a fraud? Yes. Yes, absolutely does. I mean, it's 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 unbelievably disgusting. But are we going to get to a place where we allow bureaucrats and government agencies to decide that you can say this or you can't say that? I mean, he doesn't put anybody in imminent threat or danger. He hurt a lot of people's feelings. I mean, he, I guess now he wishes he had never said it. But, but the, the point that he's trying to make is we live in a nation now where we're not debating things. We have these bureaucratic overlords who decide what debates we're allowed to have. And that is the bedrock of America. I mean, the Second Amendment is the Second Amendment because the founders felt something should be more important. The right to freely express yourself and say things that you feel like saying.
And that's why I wanted you to hear uh, what he has to say. Now, one of the interesting points he made to me was that's why there is a an unbelievable attempt to censor the opinions of populist leaders. If you're in the club, if you're part of the cathedral, the last thing you want is populism. Populism is erratic. I mean, it's emotional. It's it's a bit chaotic and controversial. So if you built this huge controlling apparatus, the last thing you want is a lot of people energetically in pursuit of a fairer America. You built an unfair America. You know it's unfair. You're in control of the unfairness. You're the arbiter of fair and equality and inclusiveness and all these other um, discussions that we don't have. But I mean, that's how you control. And, and, I, and I believe this, and we'll take a break, the decentralization of the media, the fact that Tucker Carlson can have Alex Jones on a podcast and millions, millions hear that interaction is a celebration of the First Amendment. And the fact that you'll take it and we'll play it on the radio too. And then I'm not asking you to agree or disagree. I mean, you form your own opinion of what Tucker and, and Alex Jones talked about. But the fact that there are bureaucratic overlords who say Alex Jones is disgusting, and because he's disgusting, we're not going to let him enjoy the, the rights of the First Amendment. I mean, that's so un-American. Take a break. Back in a few. 661-0937 is our number. We have a guest in our studio, a caller on the line. Let's go to the caller, and then we'll go to the guest. Jeff in Florence, good morning. You're on. Hey, good morning. Um, you know, the Alex Jones thing, um, he, I don't know how anybody could even put him on the radio. Did you? Nobody thinks he killed those kids. And as far as the damage of what he said, have you ever heard what those parents of those kids went through? I mean, you, 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 you're the guy that says nobody believes this and everybody believes that, so I'm going to let you answer your own question. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you believe Well, I mean, you just said that nobody's ever walked up to Alex Jones and said, I think you killed those kids. I don't know how you know that, but you do. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's just such a stupid argument. I can't even. Well, maybe it is. There. I don't know. I, I don't have any idea. I mean, does I, the, first, does the First Amendment because... prohibit stupid arguments? Um, no. So, okay. So well, we'll end of that. that. That's the end of that. If the first okay. amendment, if the first amendment so you, allows you stupid arguments, then let's have stupid you, arguments. You support, you support Jane Fonda? I support the first wrong? amendment. I support the first okay. amendment. And I thought liberal Democrats did. Well, I mean, like to, to say that words can't have consequences and that these parents weren't had people in their face telling them that their dead kid didn't exist that it was all fake. I mean, that's disgusting. It is I'm disgusting. Sorry. Absolutely, it's disgusting. <laughs> and, and and for you to put them on the radio, it's disgusting. I'm sorry. Well, find it's another show. I mean, if you find you it that disgusting, find another want. show. You can do what you want, but he's a disgusting human being. Is, is, al is, allowing, is allowing minor children to have a sex change without parental consent disgusting? I, I mean... I don't know what that's got to do with the First Amendment. Well, I mean, it's disgusting. We're talking about disgusting. While we're talking about disgusting, let's talk about the platform of the Democrat Party. Is killing a baby that's in the, the third trimester disgusting? No, I mean, like... Is killing a baby in the third trimester disgusting? Born, if, if, you, if you listen to 
listen to Republican platforms. The beauty of talk radio is you don't control it, Jeff. You control the media. You don't control talk radio. And I'm asking Uh, a simple, you you told me. You said Alex Jones is disgusting. I'm asking you, is killing a baby in the third trimester disgusting because the Democrat agenda allows that? I, it's not my call, but if there's a baby born that has uh, that is going to be born with massive birth defects that's not going to survive, that's not your decision or mine. That, that's fair enough. And it's not your decision nor mine to decide what Alex Jones is allowed to say or not. No, but he should. You'd he love for it to be dollars. your decision. You would, you would desperately love for it to be dollars. your But it's not your decision, Jeff. Yeah. And look, he's back on Twitter. Elon must put him back on, I believe. And I he should have. An he question. absolutely should have. Yeah. I, 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 you guys just keep going with that. <laughs> have a good day. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, and appreciate so some it. people criticize us for letting Jeff come on here and say some of his ideas well, and his did, thoughts. You know, I mean, J- J- Jeff is accustomed to a world where his side controls the media. And when you control the media and a, a, a force of the media confronts you, you find it very uncomfortable. You just do. I mean, I get it. I understand it. I mean, I, it would be much easier in life to be a liberal because you get to decide what the conversation's about, but not on this show. And I offer no apology to anyone for allowing Alex Jones to come on this show, just like I offer no one any apology at all for allowing Jeff to come on this show. Exactly. Some people find what Alex Jones disgusting or says disgusting. Some people find what Jeff says disgusting. The First Amendment says we're not going to exclude people who say disgusting things. I'm sorry. You can't have, you can't have it one way and not allow uh, for the other. Beverly McKee. I'm sorry, Beverly. I got a little bit. Um, <laughs> you, kind of change well, I mean, subjects. Yeah, we're going to a kinder, yes. gentler subject now called helping people. Um, there is no law that says we must, but we do. And we're thankful for people like Beverly. We're thankful for people like the Cooks for Christ. And I'm sure Tina Hathcock is very thankful. So, so Beverly, the latest person is a 62-year-old female who is dealing with some pretty serious medical complications. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Um, she's really, really had it tough. Um, Tina was diagnosed with kidney disease when she was only nine years old, and she's lived with one functioning kidney ever since. Sadly, her kidney failed, but in December, a donor was found, and she received a new kidney. Um, she receives treatment at Duke University. Um, along the way, she has incurred many personal and medical bills because of her health, and she has to go to Duke for infusions and will have to do that for the rest of her life. She was forced to close her um, dance studio. She was forced to clo- uh, sell her home. She's living in an apartment. Um, she does have insurance, but with 20% that the insurance doesn't pay, you know, she's just, she has a lot of debt. Um, she's applied for disability. As we all know, that could take months or years. And so we're just trying to help her out. So the, the, the prognosis of her surgery may be good. Yes. But there's still a real world that she has to exist in. And she has no income at all, correct? That's right. That's right. So we're trying to help her sustain herself yes. while she hopefully gets better. In this medical, um, so when, where, and how? I mean, we know the drill, but some don't. Okay. So if someone wants to help Tina have a successful fundraiser with Cooks for Christ, how can they help? Okay, you can help in many ways. We're still taking orders. We'll be taking orders till 5 o'clock today. You can call me 
at 843-229-0348. We'll deliver for seven plates or more. You can come to the fire station on Thursday and volunteer. That's the West Florence Fire Station on Pine Needles Road. Show up at 8 o'clock, and we'll give you a job to do. Uh, We need baked goods. We're going to have a big bake sale, and we just need to come out and support her. We're planning to feed about 5,000 people. If you are... If you're in a plant or a business or somewhere where there's a, a, a number of people, you will deliver. Yes. What, what is the deadline and how many plates do they need to order? Uh, so the deadline's at 5 o'clock today, and they need to order seven plates or more. Can you give a number? 843-229-0348. And you'll get all that handled? I will take care of it. And, and I'll tell you this. They'll put you to work. I mean, I can, I can vouch for this. I got involved in one, and they will put you to work. But it's like an assembly line. At one of the major auto manufacturers, I mean, everybody knows what to do, when to do, and how to do. I just did what I was told to do. <laughs> but, um, but Beverly, you guys have been doing this how long? I mean, well, Henry Brunson started this probably about thirty-five years ago. I've been volunteering with him for twenty-five years, and we organized under the name Cooks for Christ. So we do seven benefits a year. So we've been doing it a long time. And and once again, it's this Thursday yes. at the fire station on Pine Needles Road. Yes, from eleven. Until six, uh, but if you want seven plates delivered, seven or more plates delivered, you need to you need to let Beverly know by five o'clock today. That's right. And that number once again is eight four three two two nine zero three four eight. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate um, you. Yeah, Be- Beverly acts like it. She, she she put her headset on. I saw her put her headset on <laughs> to make sure she could hear what we were. I tell you what, you're my hero. <laughs> I tell you what, you yeah. don't you don't back down. You must have some. I'm not going to back down. I mean, I, yeah, I, think I admire that. My my interpretation of the First Amendment is very consistent. Is somebody on the phone? Okay, nobody on the phone. Eight four three. Well, I know where you get the phone number. We're about no, to get out of here. To wrap Look, up. and I understand. I mean, I'm not saying that I agree with Alex Jones. I mean, I certainly don't agree with everything out. I don't agree with everything Trump says. I don't agree with everything George Bush said. I don't agree Sometimes you've with said everything you don't Ronald agree. Reagan. You don't agree with everything you well, I mean, said. I get in my truck about halfway down the driveway, and I'm going like, I don't agree with what I just said two hours <laughs> ago. Uh, but, but, but the First Amendment is central to America. I mean, it is the right for you to say, without fear of consequence, what you genuinely believe, without hurting other people. And I understand distress and and parents having their feelings hurt. I mean, I understand, and I've got no idea how I would feel about Alex Jones if I were a parent of a kid who died at Sandy Hook. But Alex Jones has protection under the First Amendment. The First Amendment doesn't say, hey, you can speak freely if you speak this way. You can speak freely if you speak that way. You can speak freely if you say kind things about the president. You can speak freely if you say unkind things about the president. It applies equally, black, white, red, yellow, green, conservative, liberal. In in Jeff's world, the media is a monolith. And the majority of conversations are unfair to the right and more favorable to the left. We know that. I mean, the data clearly shows that, you know, Elon Musk has been kind of the liberator of the decentralization of media. And the First Amendment applies to everybody equally. We'll talk tomorrow.